We're live. Hello. I don't have my main microphone set up yet. Oh, what's up, Robbie Bloodshed? How you doing? Oi. 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 Guys, go to YouTube. Go to YouTube. <laughs> Dad joke. Uh, okay. I missed the earlier part. A two-need fish. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, ha. That is so funny. That is so funny that I forgot to laugh. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Go to YouTube. I'm ignoring this camera now because I'm only going to be on YouTube. Join us. Join the comments all on YouTube. I'm not even acknowledging that this exists. Okay. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Facebook. No, not Facebook. Uh, Streaming Evil Life. Still got to work on that title. My name's Jeffrey Murdergram. Newly, newly uh, baptized. No, not baptized. Was newly dubbed. I, you know, you never. You're not supposed to come up with nicknames for yourself. You're supposed to. You're supposed. Someone else is supposed to give you the nickname. It's really lame to give yourself a nickname. But you know, I mean, when when inspiration strikes, you just gotta. You gotta do it. It just doesn't. You know. Um, yeah, so we, we're not in our Sunday slot anymore. I don't know what, what is going to become of the Sunday slot, but uh, I did not. I dropped the ball. I was actually redoing the, I don't know what you call this, the studio, the, um, the shadow gallery, uh, the, the bat cave, um, the man's den. Uh, I just redid everything. This is a brand new workstation. I did this specifically for... The Misfits, man, because I'm going to be doing some hardcore. If you thought Night of 1979 was a big deal, just wait and see what I'm gonna do next. Uh, I'm so uh, I'm so scared that I don't know how it's gonna turn out, but I know it's gonna be good because I'm gonna put my blood, sweat, tears, heart, and soul into it, and that's what really counts, you know. That's that's the important thing, kids. That's what we must do. So. That's what's going to happen. I, and if you if you haven't noticed, look at my new little. You like my little scrolly scroll? That's that's new. I'm very happy with that. That's a nice little uh, new feature. That uh, and 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 it, and we have the color the color bar at the bottom that says uh, Jeffrey Murgram. Really stoked about that. Um, just some some new features. See, I want to up the production quality of the show, but the truth of the matter is. I don't have the revenue coming in to justify the overhead expenditures. What does that mean? It means that I don't have enough money coming in from this venture for me to want to take it up to the next level. I do understand that you have to spend money in order to make money, but also being currently unemployed, I can't justify the the cost some of the costs that would I would need in order to do that sort of thing. So this is just where we're at, at an impasse until something else, you know, manifests itself or I don't know. Um, I, I don't know what 2021 is going to bring. I really don't. I, I am so like, like many of you, we're, we're floating in the ether, people. We are floating in the ether. Um, ish, S-H-I-T has never been crazier. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? Again, not trying to get political here. Although I think most of you know how I feel politically in general. Um, but, you know, listen, <laughs> I, just, I just don't know what to expect. 
Um, I have a really great show that I'm currently working on for you guys coming up. Uh, I don't know when it's going to air. Um, it's going to air. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm figuring out all the logistics of it right now. Uh, it, it's kind of like a one-two punch. The first punch is going to be really fun. And the second punch is going to be really fun too, but it involves a lot of cleanup. So what I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm taking this thing uh, and I am going through it and sort of uh, smoothing it out so that it's more presentable. We're going to do commentary on it. And uh, it's going to be really nerdy and fun. And that's what we're going to do. So there's that to look forward to. Monty Melnick interview for Pizza Punk. That has not gone up yet. It will go up. Uh, I've just been backlogged on things. I still have to finish. I've been just, my friends, some of my friends, we were doing this, this chubby bunny marshmallow competition. Some of you may have seen those videos on the, the channel. And uh, the, the conclusion to that, who, who won? Who is the marshmallow king? Who won the chubby bunny challenge? Uh, well, you'll have to find out. Uh, so that video is coming shortly. So that and Monty Mel, like keep your eyes peeled. And then in the new year, like I said, we've got more content. Although I don't know what frequency the show will be at because, again, my work will mainly be devoted to this. And I'm telling you now, like 2021 is the year of constructing They Came From Lodi into what it needs to be in order to be the documentary that I want it to be. Okay. That's, that's part of why my whole setup has changed. As you can see, I couldn't, I couldn't work in the setup anymore. I needed to change everything. Uh, so I got, you know, I got everything out. I even got my, my monitors. I was waiting to get my monitors back. Now they're here and I'm so stoked about that. I'm glad. Uh, so there's that. Okay. So a couple of, uh, wait, we got one more housekeeping thing that we have to deal with before we move on. This is uh, a very, I, I think this is a very, very important uh, housekeeping item. By the way, how does the audio sound? Am I, uh, I hope I'm not over modular. I hate this microphone, but my other microphone's not set up yet. So I'm just, I'm just dealing with what I'm dealing with, which is really annoying. Uh, why can't I see the live video stream uh, it's not showing it to me um there it is okay okaladoke here i'll share this on my personal personal page too might as well come on yep putts come on there we go all right that's been shared that's sharing there did I share it? I don't know if I shared it. Okay, so last week, we we did this really interesting thing last week. For those of you who were around, we we looked at like, I guess it was like a college, what was that? It was like a college analysis of, of someone analyzing this guy for, for his college project. He, he analyzed Misfits lyrics uh, in, in the most interesting ways. And hold on. See, we got some. I told you I'm not. I'm ignoring. I'm ignoring the. I'm ignoring the chat over here. Facebook. I'm not. I'm ignoring you, Facebook. I'm only on. I'm only on YouTube. Um. Yeah. So we had this. Uh, con I don't know if you call it a contest. One of our brilliant uh, commentators. I think it might have been Pods Magic. You know what? Might have been the guy who suggested it. Uh, someone correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was. I think it was Pod, and Pod suggested that we uh, make songs, that there's people make songs 
out of the the most commonly found uh, words in Misfits lyrics. And I forget what the list was. Go and look at the episode. It's on YouTube. Go look at the episode from last week if you want to be reminded of what those were. Here we go. Well, every time Eric Eric Cruz on, on YouTube, he goes, wow. He always starts it off as wow. Look at the animation, though. We have new animations. Watch this. Boom. Came for the topless Rollins photo. Seven. Daniel's place. Oh, hey. What's up? How you doing? Yeah. What's up, guys? I hope you had a nice trip. Nice, uh, nice time in Florida is what I meant to say. That was that was that was fun. Yeah, we have these new um, we have these new animations though. I just love seeing these the way these comments pop down. Uh, in any case, all right. So so let's get to it. Let's get to the nitty gritty here. So last week we had we had a <laughs> we had a lyrical contest. We got to find the lyrics that people wrote down, and we're gonna we're gonna read the song lyrics that everybody came up with in the group chat. By the way, is this not the best photo of Glenn Danzig ever? Even though I feel kind of bad for Glenn, that the guy can't wrap a present like a normal dude. He's got to deal, he's got to deal with all, all, the, all the nonsense. All, everybody sort of needing to comment and chime in. Hold on one second. Let me find this thing, everyone. Oh, yeah. Do a photo on Osaka. Do a, an episode on Osaka Popstar. Yeah, right. I can't find this anywhere. All right, I'll just do a search. What was it? What I it was up here. It was something about maybe it would be under announcements. Here it is. Typical lyric. Okay, so here it is, guys. Typical lyrical features found in misfit songs. So this guy did a dissertation. He did a dissertation about this. What's up, Rue? Rue Morgan, the house. That's right. I'm Jeffrey Murdergram, my newly christened name. So here are the top 10 lyrics we find in Misfit songs. Right? <laughs> oh, go, blood, yeah, gonna, whoa, come, death, and face. So it's like, oh, as in, oh, all I want is to know. Go, as in, all ghouls go to hell. Hell. I'll be seeing you in hell. Blood, spit up blood when you cough. Cool, cool, cough. Yeah, yeah, evil is as evil doesn't know. Gonna, I'm gonna live my life to destroy your world. Whoa, as in every song. Whoa. Oh, what's up? We have our friend from Romania is back. What's up, man? How you doing, Romanian dude? Oh, he's actually from Jersey. Uh, yes, I think everybody had a great Christmas. Um, we have uh, come as in come sweet death, one last caress. We have uh, death. I'm possessing your death, like the blood feast. Um, face, pumpkin faces in the night. I remember. Okay. So that that's that that's that. And then Wait a minute. Where are the where are the lyrics though? We want the actual lyrics. Here they are. All right, ready for this? This is going to be I'm so excited for this. All right. So this is uh Rusty Murdergram. I you know, Rusty, I can't I have to call you Russell Casualty. It doesn't make sense to call you Russell Murdergram. It just doesn't work. Rusty Murdergram. I like I get it. Ah! My lord. 
That's annoying when that happens. I much prefer, I much, 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 much prefer um, Rusty Russell Casualty, but fine. Rusty Murdergram writes, ready, go, that blood is going to come, go, going to face it in your, wait. Go, that blood is going to come. Go, going to face it in your hell. Go, yeah, death is coming now. Go, that hell is all you know. Whoa, hell face, hell face, hell face. Oh, effing hell. Man, that's pretty great. I, <laughs> I love it. But how? what would the melody be? Go, that blood is going to come. Go, going to face it in your hell. Go, yeah, death is coming right now. Da, 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 go. That hell is all you know. Whoa. Hell, and it's called Hellface. All right. So that's from, that's from Rusty Murdergram. Okay. Here's from Raphael from somewhere in South, uh, South America, right? Raphael? I don't, I believe so. This is what Raphael wrote. <laughs> Ready for this? You can't see it because it's so, uh, um, John writes, John voice of doom writes that hellhound's going to rip your face off. Right. Yeah. It's that, well, this is hell face, <laughs> but, it, but here's the part of the funny, the funny part about this is, you know, like you, the, the lyrics have to feel like they could actually be written by Glenn Danzig. And that song Hellface, is totally something that you would find on a later Danzig album, like for sure, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, so Raphael writes, oh, gonna come blood. Yeah. And, and come is spelled C-U-M. So it's come, but come. Oh, gonna come blood. Yeah. Gonna face death. Come death, come. Whoa. Hell come. <laughs> hell come death. Okay. See, that's something Glenn would not do. Glenn would not go hell come as welcome death. That's not gonna work. Hell gonna go. Gonna go Hell. Well done, Raphael. Okay, okay. I was going to sing these, but I just can't think of that many melodies off the top of my head. Okay, Eric Carroll. This guy's from Misfit Central, going way back. Eric Carroll. If you're on Facebook, I'm going to ignore you. You got to come to YouTube. Got to come to YouTube. Uh, Eric Carroll writes, uh, Whoa, yeah, going to go to hell with my death face. Will you come to hell with your death face? Okay, this feels like an Earth AD song. Whoa, yeah, gonna go, gonna go to hell with my death face. Will you come hell with your? Will you come to hell with your death face? Oh, gonna go to hell with your death face. Gonna drink your blood. Gonna drink your blood in hell with my death face. Death face. Whoa, 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 yeah, death face. Yeah, that feels like that feels like an Earth AD song, and I guess that's called death face. Um. Oh, there's more to it. Come drink your blood in hell. Gonna drink your blood in hell. Yeah, yeah. Hell blood gonna come. <laughs> Whoa, hell blood gonna go. Yeah, death face drinking blood in hell. <laughs> well done. Well done. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, what does Slashman says? I was thinking that one would be a rockabilly sounding song. So so uh, I guess death face. Is that what you're referring to, Slashman? Let's try that. Yeah, gonna go to hell with my death face. Will you come to hell with your death face? 
We're gonna go to hell with your death first. Gonna drink your blood, gonna drink your blood up in hell with my death face. Yeah. Okay. I think that works. I like it. I, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, American Nightmare esque. Right. Thank you, Slash Man. You're right. Totally right. Um, okay, so John Mahalchik Jr. has a song called Bloodface. Ready? Okay, here we go. Bloodface, go! Bloodface, go! Bloodface, go! Whoa! All right, this feels like Queen Wasp, actually. It's it says Earth AD2, Hell on Earth. Bloodface, go! Bloodface, go! Bloodface, go! Whoa! Hell gonna come go, death gonna come go, blood face gonna come go, face gonna go, whoa! Uh, hell gonna come go, death gonna come go, blood gonna come go, face gonna whoa. All right, I like that. I like that last line. Face gonna whoa! Cool, cool. Uh, come face death, go, come face death, go! Come face blood, go, come face whoa! Like, come face... Whoa! I don't know if that works. I don't know. Uh, this is okay, John. This is a, a valid, excellent attempt. Um, R Rusty, Rusty murder, <laughs> murdergram writes. That's funny. In my mind, my submission felt like a take on uh, Blood Feast or just anything Earth AD sounding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I gave every anybody who tried gets a medal because this is not easy stuff to do. Okay. It's not easy to, to do this. All right. Denzel Foffleton. Uh, this is his song. Ready? I guess this is also called, this is called Death Face. Ready? Um, death, death gonna come for you. Gonna rip your face off. Gonna rip your guts out. Till your face is shooting blood. Whoa, death face. Whoa, death face. Whoa, death face. Whoa, death gonna come for you. Gonna rip your face off. Gonna rip your guts out. Till your face is shooting blood. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm having way too much fun with this. Um, from hell we're coming. To hell we're taking you. Yeah, death is coming. To rip your face off you. Okay. That's fun. That's fun. Good job, Denzel. All right. We, the, the last one we have is Untitled. And this one feels more like a poem. I think I even wrote that. Oh, no. I just wrote Well Done. Well, whatever. I mean, listen. It takes guts to do this sort of stuff. So this last one is Untitled. Rapid Citizen. This feels like a Cough Cool song, maybe. But like by way of Death Rock. Doom. Ding, ding, rapid citizens, wayward souls, poison blood, gonna take its toll, pseudo-death army, scavenge the streets, rage skips down the halls of the arteries, yeah, it's the face of never of, never coming back, oh, the pounding hunger go. The hungry attack. Whoa, my! Oh, you know what? This feels like a grave song, Jason Shannon. This is like a grave song. 
Whoa, whoa, my hunger, it burns. Whoa, oh, won't wait my turn. Gonna get me, got me steaming, bite down tonight. You want to join me in hell tonight? I'm sorry. I am actually going to disqualify this one because it feels too much like a grave song. Doesn't count. No, of course it counts, man. It's it's not easy to do this stuff. Jason, I salute you. Well done, friend. Well done. Um, <laughs> this was a lot of fun. If anybody else wants to try, if anybody else can come up with a song next week, feel free. Um, I will read more the next time I, I do a show. Okay? Next, next, next episode. Okay, moving on. So that is is that piece of business. The next piece of business we have to look at. I want to take a look at this interview real quick. This is this is leading into um, uh, Henry Rollins. Uh, this is uh, an interview that Rusty Murdergram actually did on September 29th, two thousand one, TVCasualty.com with Tom Begowitz. Slash man execute says to be fair, a lot of Graves era sounds like trying to write misfit songs by formula. Yeah, Slash man, I will I will agree with that. I I give you that 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 is very true. Um, now my my TV screen is really far up, even though it's right next to me in this video. It's actually super far away. Like I, it, it's hard for me to read such small print. I'm going to do my best, but as we all know, I really suck at reading. So. Um, TV casualty. What is the nature of your relationship with the missus Tom Begowitz? I was put in charge of, of the campaign we launched starting in 1995 for the misfits. When I worked at Caroline records in New York, sometimes the band hates me. Sometimes they love me. I represent the enemy, i.e. the record company. So that's to be expected. Therefore, I am not great friends with any of the band. Although I do consider Jerry a friend and Franche was always a great guy to talk to. What I do for them is I do my best to create releases that represent an unbiased and fan-like angle. I'm very proud of Static Age, The Box Set, and the upcoming 12 Hits from Hell release, to say the least. The reason why we're looking at this is because I found the Henry Rollins radio show where he talks about 12 Hits from Hell. I found it, and I chopped it down. I edited it down real nice and tight uh, to about seven minutes. Um and it has a very interesting Misfits factoid that I had forgotten that if you didn't listen to that broadcast, you may or may not, may or may not know. Do not um, – please do not uh, spoil it if you know what it is because I think it would be a fun revelation for everybody. I forgot to take my vitamins today. Damn. Um, so please do not spoil it, okay? That's all I want to say. Um, so this is September 29th, 2001. This is like a month away from the release of 12 Hits from Hell. 12 Hits from Hell came out in October of 2001 or almost came out in October of 2001. We talked about that previously and it never did. Damn it. It's a freaking phone. Freaking phone, man. Um, it never came out. And as we know, it probably led somewhat led to the re, the almost reunion of, of Glenn and Jerry. Not quite, but, you know, at least it, it would begin that long, arduous road to the possibility. Oh, my God. I might have to ditch this thing altogether. Um, this is annoying. I don't know what to do here with this. I mean, does it really matter? 
Okay, I'll just keep I'll just keep talking and reading. Um, so so Tom is Tom doesn't have the best relationship with the band. Uh, what was your nature of your relationship with Caroline Records? I mean, I, I worked for Caroline Distribution and I was hired over to Caroline Records, the label itself, by Lyle Preslar. Uh, due for the for the most part, I believe the work that I had been doing with them uh, during the acquisition of the Misfits catalog. Uh, I worked there as a project manager, A&R rep, until 1997. Since that time, I have remained friends with a lot of the great people uh, who work there and who continue to talk, uh, and we continue to talk and occasionally work together on a freelance basis. Um, are you a fan of the Misfits? Uh, asks Russell. Uh, Tom says, I think the Misfits forever changed the face of punk rock, hardcore, and metal. They are alongside the Dead Kennedys, Minor Threat, Black Flag, and Bad Brains. The true purveyors of hardcore punk rock legends, without a doubt. Remember, Tom Begowitz also wrote Scream With Me. Remember we did that whole thing about Scream With Me? Scream With Me is the definitive book on the Misfits or whatever now. I mean, this is written by this is written by Tom, the guy who did 12 Hits from Hell and Misfits box set and all that stuff. So just remember that too. Uh, uh, at what point in your life did you discover the Misfits? Uh, Tom writes, not right away, although um, in my early, not right away, although I am in my early 30s, the scene was different back then. Bands and labels didn't have national distribution, so many of us missed the boat when they were together. I remember my brother, who was four years older, having three hits from hell, although I, I, I liked it. I didn't fall headfirst head in love with the music until years later. Uh, as a fan, did you find it exciting to be involved with the release of previously unavailable Misfits material? Uh, the day I picked up the master tapes in 1995 after the deal was done, I was like a kid at the candy store. That's what he said in my interview with him as well. He loves, that's his, that's his go-to for that. Um, understandably so too, right? Uh, master tapes of every session you could imagine, except for the Fairlawn sessions with many of the boxes having original sheets, unreleased versions, songs, and sketches on the boxes by Glenn and the boys. It was a great day, and to have all of it transferred to CD, that transferred to CD for me to review for the first time by anyone was something that I would cherish forever. So this guy got to catalog everything. He is, if anybody's familiar with the Beatles, he is the Mark Lewinson of the of the Misfits. Okay, that's what he got to do. Uh, TV Casualty says, "I see that you were credited in the liner notes of several Mis Misfits related releases." As either producer, A and R, or both. What exactly does a record producer do, and what is A and R? Um, Tom says, in the case of my work with the Misfits, producer means that I created the release by conceiving it, conceiving it, and overseeing all of its elements, the track listing, and the order, what goes into it, choosing artists, how the release will look, locating and choosing photos. If we're using liner notes, and uh, who will do them, getting it mixed and/or mastered. Uh, A&R, as in the case of Violent World, uh, a tribute to the Misfits, means I was only, uh, not only was I a producer, but I also picked the bands, contacted them, got them to sign on and worked them, worked them through the studio to deliver masters and recording credits. A&R stands for Artists and Repertoire, which can also mean babysitting, babysitter in many cases. So, um, so Tom has done just a lot of really insane stuff i would also say stand to say that you know a good title for him would be he was the project manager that's what he did he oversaw the production of the project i mean yes the producer obviously that's what a producer is too but he was also a production manager in that kind of way um 
TV. Can you briefly explain what mastering and remastering mean? This is important stuff, people. Um, that uh, they are in itself the same thing. Mastering is a highly effective process which enhances that of which was recorded in the studio. If you heard a recording without being mastered, it would sound really bland compared to after it's mastered. Mastering adds volume, low-end, high-end, or whatever it is that you desire, and helps you to clean up the rough edges at the end of or beginning of tracks. It's hard to explain, but it basically adds shine to the recording and can make all the difference in the world for an album's sound. And you talk to any band, and they'll tell you one four about that and the importance of such things attempt to fix this one more time there we go that's the last time i'm touching that uh tv is your ability to perform these tasks related to or dependent on being a musician yourself uh tom says i tried to be a bass player once and i started a quasi band too when i lived in new york city we were awful but it was mostly about hanging out and drinking 40s of cope 45 in alphabet city for those of you who don't know alphabet city is the alphabet, all the avenues that have alphabet letters uh, on the Lower East Side, as you go uh, further east, right by the East River, that this there's this cluster of, it's a block cluster. That's what's known as Alphabet City uh, within the LES, which is the Lower East Side. That's just a little geography lesson for those who are not aware. Um, could we discuss the pressing of colored vinyl as related to the Misfits releases that you've been involved with? For example, tell me the different numbers and uh, tell me the different numbers are arrived at for each color. Like why, why do you arrive at this number for this color uh, and how each color itself is chosen? Um, Tom says, when, uh, woo, Mark Kennedy is the man for this question. Although I chose the colors and how many were pressed, I always struggled to remember the numbers. Let me think. Collection 2 was 500 on clear, 1,000 on green, and 2,000 on red. Static Age, 500 purple, and 1,000 on yellow, and 2,000 on red. Violent Worlds was actually 500 on white, 1,000 on green, and 2,000 orange. I always want a couple colors, and that's essential, really. I mean, this is the Misfits, right? I like to run them, as you can see, in increments that run from rare colors to uh, to colors that more people can find. It's no fun making them so that only a couple people can have uh, fun. Oh, blah, blah, blah. It's no fun making them so only a couple people can have the fun of opening their vinyl and seeing color. I love that feeling. The colors are chosen mainly by two methods, colors used in the layout and completely random selections. I tend to think it's more uh, than the latter. Uh, TV says, what sort of education does one have to have in order to do this type of work? Great questions, um, Russell. Great questions to Tom, truly. Um, Tom says, I went to college for graphic design, so you don't really have to have one at all to do the business end of things. Like most of society refuses to do, I act logically and think about numbers, budgets, and ideas in a more common sense matter manner, and I think that's why the projects I have done work out pretty well. Education, if you if not utilized properly, can sometimes be highly overrated. Uh, TV. What other albums have you produced, packaged, or otherwise had a hand in besides the following: Collection Two, Static Age, Promo Cassette, Misfits, Box Set, Static Age, Violent World. 
Uh, Tom says, I don't consider the Static Age promo cassette anything really, although I know because of its collectability, hell, even I don't have one. Uh, I am credited with it, but it's no, but it has no more or no less to do with the Static Age CD. Um, he says he's produced and or co-mixed, mastered the upcoming 12 Hits from Hell as well. Um, besides the Misfits, there's too many records to mention here as I've worked at three different levels over an eight-year span. Uh, TV says, can you tell me the story behind the, the creation of the Misfits box set released by Caroline in 1996? I understand it was conceived a number of years before it actually saw the light of day. This is a really great story. I have Tom talking. I think he's on tape for two hours. Right on the other side of this filing cabinet is two tapes with a video interview I did with Tom many years ago talking about this super in depth. Let's see what he says right here, though. Um, he says right here, it's a big question. Tom says, that's a big question, but I'll do what I can to be as concise as possible. The idea that Glenn had originally for a coffin box set was mentioned in a couple of interviews in the Sam Hain years. That was it. Nothing came of it. We were doing the deal to acquire everything. I wanted to make it happen, but on a full scale, big money, big time way. I believe... I believe Glenn was thinking about a box set of singles back then. Right. That was the enter at your own risk thing. But I wanted it to be a full-on deal. Since it was quite an undertaking, I hired an outside designer. His name was Roger Gorman. We, we talked about this, actually. This is in the Scream With Me box uh, book, I believe. Um, and he had previously won a Grammy for his David Bowie Sound and Vision box set while doing work for John Lennon, Yoko Ono, Metallica, Helmet, Queensryche, and a ton of others. He's a great guy, and we had a blast bringing the idea to life. We worked together again on Violent World. I hired another great artist, an illustrator and designer named Dave McKean. Dave is famous for many things, but mostly for his Sandman comic series covers. I told him what I wanted, sent him some music, and he came back with a sketch or two. Uh, I had him add a key into the Crimson Ghost's hand to represent the fact that this box set is your key to the Misfits legacy. That's pretty cool. Uh, Lyle and I also really liked the packaging of this import CD by Spiritualize, the UK band. I found out who made the boxes and I talked with them. I talked them into coming over, meeting and creating what I wanted for our versions. Those original pressing cases are beautiful and we had fun working on those. The company did a great job. The Fiend, Club the, the Fiend Club badges were a necessity to me. I grew up with a ton of pins on my shirts and jackets, and it seemed like a fun idea to have something extra in there. Of course, there was the coffin itself, and that was uh, a big ordeal since nothing like it had ever been done before. It was specially engineered for this project and cost quite a bundle to have it done, as did the jewel cases. As for the interior goes, I wanted the fuzzy red interior to add color since Roger came up with this great black wood look to the outside. Basically, it all just came together magically in the box set is the proudest moment of all my years with the music industry. Rightfully so, man. Rightfully so. It it really is. And I've, you know, I've kind of talked a little negatively about the box set in the past, not, not the actual box set itself. It's just that that art from the Sandman guy, I was not a big fan of that art. It didn't feel misfitsy to me. It felt too postmodern. It didn't that didn't work for me. Everything else I love about the box set. I mean, truly. And and I again I revere Tom for what he's done. I really do. But that one image 
representing the box set kind of, I don't know. It just didn't feel very misfitsy to me personally. But again, they were going for, they had a very unique vision. They were going for a very specific look. TV, how difficult it, was it to assemble all of the tracks slated for inclusion in the box set? How did you go about the arduous task of trying to track down every song that had been recorded by the band? Uh, Tom writes, it was basically like this. I knew the album would be together. I knew, it was basically like this. I knew that I knew all the albums would be together and to utilize more space on the CDs, I put more than one, the hell is calling me right now? This is a bad time. Um, and to utilize more space on the CDs, he put more than one album on each. That's another mistake, I think, to be fair. If I'm truly being biased about this, I mean, unbiased about this, I think it was the, I know it was obviously, it probably was more for cost reasons, you know, cutting down half the cost of the CDs you need. But man, each one of those CDs should have had its own CD. It's just me. Just me personally, but uh, I, I get it. I, I get it. I get it. Uh, I truly do. If you put, uh, uh, I put more than one album on each. That way, we'd relaunch Earth AD on CD and premiere Evil Live as well. Two classics that have since been released on their own, but were exclusive to the box set. Interesting. The Sessions disc was the biggest task in the entire collection, which is like the greatest thing ever, the Sessions disc. Uh, disc three in the collection. Collection disc three, the Sessions disc. Uh, this took weeks of repeated listening to the tapes we acquired and weeding out things that were already on the albums on discs one and two. When you're dealing with so many different sessions and versions of the same songs, it becomes quite tedious to say the least. As far as Static Age goes, that was a no-brainer. It's a classic and had to have its own, had to stand on its own as disc number four. Um, interesting. I like what Slash Man says. If they were to do it again, I'd prefer the mini LP sleeves as well. That's what, I mean, that's what should have been done in the first place. Again, I understand it's a, it's a, it's an unbelievable release and it's an unbelievable undertasking. I really don't want to diminish Tom in any way, shape, or form. But speaking simply from a fan standpoint, just a fan standpoint, that's what I would want, truthfully. Trophily. Um, what else can I say? What else can I say here? Uh, TV, Russell says, were you at all intimidated by the sheer number of tracks that needed to be remastered for the box set? Tom says, I wasn't, but I can assure you Alan Douches was. Douches? Is that his last name? Uh, I didn't sit in on those sessions due to their lengths and the fact that the Misfits were just one band I worked on it and the fact that it, the Misfits were just one band I worked on at Caroline. I always sat in on single or double album sessions though. Uh, Russell asks, was there any need to restore or repair any of the original masters used in the box set? If so, what degree of damage was assessed and what was done to restore them? How, how were, are those master tapes stored? So, I mean, that's like the, that's the coolest story of all that I'm, we're not going to, I'll just read whatever he wrote, but I've talked about this story on past episodes. It's totally, it's totally a story that must be heard. If you've not heard it, check it out. Try and find that. If you can find that it's somewhere in the episodes. Again, Tom will go into that in great detail on the Lodi documentary that I have in the making, which is the whole point of this show to begin with. Just putting that out there. 
Um, sorry, I keep losing my place. Uh, Tom says, all of the session tapes went through a process known as archival baking. It's not complex. It's exactly how it sounds. The tapes are baked in an oven at a low temperature for so long to help them from uh, sticking to each other uh, in their rolled up form. They are then transformed over to digital so that they're backed up and the tapes themselves are in the storage vaults in the New York City area. Although that's not 100% true as far as I understand it, as Tom has told me personally. Tom has told me specifically that these tapes, and that's the crux of the story, is that they're sending tape through a playhead. I'll never get tired of talking about this. They're sending tape through a playhead. The tape is disintegrating. It's disintegrating as it's being digitized. It's like it's like Indiana Jones running away from the boulder that's running towards him. And if he stops for a moment, if that tape jams for just a moment, everything, God, crazy. That's so crazy to me. Um, that's the story I understand. I don't know about anything being stored in New York City. I don't think all the master tapes are are destroyed essentially or don't exist anymore from my understanding. I don't know. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are, maybe I go, when I go back, there's so much, there's so much stuff that I've forgotten from all my interviews. Maybe it's on the tape too, that I just didn't remember this. Who knows? Um, Tom asks, sorry, Russell asks, were certain tracks left out of the box set due to limitations imposed by either Caroline or any of the persons involved with the project? Uh, Tom replies, no band member or employee at Caroline had a gun to my head regarding songs within the box set. As we sit here in the fall of 2001, there are no songs out. There are no songs out now that aren't available. And when I say songs, I mean compositions, not versions. That's a big difference. And that's the truth, mother effers, because when I went to Tom's house, he played me some versions, baby. He played me some versions and there are versions to these songs that is a big difference the only song that wasn't included in the box set that the misfits ever recorded was in the doorway that's crazy um russell says can you explain why walk among us was not included on the box set that's because of slash records um both myself and caroline had taken such flack for this album not being included and it's quite simple really walk among us isn't a plan nine album and the rights are owned by warner brothers via slash an imprint of theirs. I naturally would have included this classic album, but Caroline doesn't hold the rights. In fact, it's only it's the only Glenn Danzig era record they don't own. I wish I could make this known to every fan out there somehow. And for anybody who's not aware, it's the great, it's the highest selling record Slash has ever owned. Slash of all of Slash's releases, Walk Among Us has sold more copies than any other record, as far as I'm aware. Um. Uh, this is more about the box set than it was about 12 Hits from Hell, but I think he's going to talk about 12 Hits from Hell in a minute. Uh, can you explain why? Uh, at what point was the decision made to release Static Age on its own? Tom says, I knew all along it would come out on its own. It's too great of an album to have solely in the box set. The Sessions disc is different in that way. That's for collectors and doesn't stand that well on its own, where Static Age has the whole story and mystery behind it. But hey, you never know. Um, Tom says, how had In the Doorway managed to remain hidden since it was recorded? 
this is I don't remember why that was. Let's let's read about. Well, because it was on the tape. They discovered it on the tape, but um Oh, studio version of All Hell isn't on the box. Either. Thanks for contributing that. I did not realize. Um, Tom says about In the Doorway. Uh, why? How did In? How had In the Doorway managed to remain hidden since it was recorded? Tom says the reason In the Doorway was never heard or bootlegged for that matter, like Return of the Fly was, is this: it was never mixed down originally since the band ran out of time in the studio crazy so the band runs runs out of time in the studio and it just remains unmixed it was only on two inch reels and to do anything with that tape in the future meant taking studio time out money and effort for only one song the band moved on and created new songs while this song collected dust the band couldn't even tell me how it went when I retrieved it from the tapes. I'll never forget hearing the song for the first time in the studio with Alan, especially knowing that I had the only copy of it in existence. He says, yeah, I'm a dorky fan. I love that song, and it's every bit a classic uh, classic Danzig Penn song. Wow. The more you know. So that's why In the Doorway never made it to uh, why it was never bootlegged. That's why In the Doorway was never bootlegged. Um, Russell asks, what was the inspiration behind adding the Static Age session outtakes to the 1997 release of Static Age? Were those outtakes readily available when the project was being assembled? Tom says, and this is like one of the best parts about that, this, this, this sort of like dream fantasy. Not everything has been heard. I mean, the, the static outtake track tells you that because there's, there's just so much more there's so much more on there um it's crazy tom says the inspiration comes from listening to the entire two-inch multi-track master tapes there's so much banter talk and screw-ups for any band and with static age being the first big recording for the band there was going to be some antics of sorts sorts like in the doorway like the in the doorway story these bits were, weren't available to anyone since they were only on the two-inch tapes. That was a blast putting that bonus track together. Uh, there's more of it, but that's the, the best stuff. So there's even more of that stuff. Man, what I wouldn't give to hear it, truly. Um, Russell says, TV. Uh, were the tracks included on Static Age mixed or mastered differently from those on the box set version of Static Age? Were those tracks simply reused as is? Uh, Tom says tracks one through four are the same set, uh, same versions as the box set, but they were all remastered after we completed the mixes of the bonus tracks. She, Spinal Remains, and In the Doorway, uh, where we mastered all 17 cuts in the same mode and levels for continuity. So if your static age on the box set is going to be different from the static age in the individual release, it's separate separate remaster job because they they added three tracks spinal remains uh come back and in the doorway huh no sorry she spinal remains in the doorway huh huh um let's see here I read that the static age, I read in the static age liner notes that Steve Zing provided much of the memorabilia shown 
uh, in the included artwork. Do you normally solicit the help of former bandmates, band members such as Steve, in search for such memorabilia? Have you enlisted help of the top Misfits collectors? Tom says, I usually only contact band members or those close to the band at the time. Uh, to bring others into the fold is usually a legal nightmare. Putting names like Steve's and Eerie's in the book and using the original material makes it even cooler, I think, for the fans to see. For sure. Totally agree with that. Uh, both those guys have given me great gifts from their collection as they went, which was a joy for me. Uh, I've been at the receiving end at that giving, and it is it, it is marvelous. When when I, I was I, I the, the generosity, truthfully, <laughs> legacy brutality saved the day back in '86. Oh boy! Um, in the mid to late '90s, Misfits fans were inundated with a flood of new versions of old material as well as tributes. Violet World was one of such tribute releases. Were there any conscious effort to release these projects so close together, or was it pretty much coincidental? Tom says uh, that anyone else put together a tribute is purely coincidental. I looked at Violent World as the official tribute as it came from Caroline. I always felt that way as well. A longtime supporter of the band and Plan 9 since the 1980s. Uh, Russell says... How were the bands picked for the Violent World tribute? It seems like some of the bands are well-known, while others are apparently uh, unknown or even unsigned groups. Tom, every group on that compilation was signed to someone at the time. I love that uh, I love that record, and when people have a problem with it, I say to them that it's not supposed to be or sound like the Misfits. I have those records already at home. I want to hear how others will interpret the songs that I love, which is something that we know Glenn Danzig is all about when it comes to covers. My personal favorites vary from time to time, but Pennywise, Earth Crisis, Sick of It All, Prong, Therapy, shit. I mean, S-H-I-T. I love it all, but mostly I love the ones that took the songs and made them their own. The record, as it stands, kicked butt, but with some major cooperation, we could have reserved some bigger names, which I believe would have made the Misfits name even larger. I had Pantera doing London Dungeon first, but then Metallica posted the street date for loads, so Pantera went into overdrive to get their album out first. Thus, cover songs were put on the back burner. Those guys are cool and are very big fans. We could have had White Zombie, and I had COC on the label too, but there were a few things that could have been done but weren't. Should have, could have, would have, but didn't. It is a cool covers album. I agree. I agree. It is a very cool covers album. I dig it. Um... To your knowledge, were there any other tracks recorded for the inclusion of Violent World? I, my favorite track is I love I love uh, the Mommy Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight by the Bouncing Souls is really great. And I love the, um, I think it does, is is the uh, Last Caress by No Effects on that. Because I love that version of Last, Last Caress that No Effects does. They really knocked out of the park with that. Um, Tom says, there was no cutting room floor for Violent World. Every master someone created for inclusion on the album was used. They spoke to Scott Ian and Anthrax, and they wanted to do it. Hell, I wanted them to do it. That's a classic band, and I would have loved to have heard them do a song. But then they never called me back to let me know what song, what money they needed, etc. It's not their fault, and it's not mine. It just didn't happen. No worries. Uh, there, weren't, there weren't any other instances like that, but possibly people wanted to do it. The uh, possibly people wanted to do it, but didn't make the right calls. The only other oddity that came up is that I had asked Goldfinger to edit their cover of Ghoul's Night Out 
since they inserted a bit at the end that had the riff to Mother in it. I thought it was clever as hell, but Mother doesn't have anything to do with the Misfits, so we had to fade it out. Charlie, who's the guy from Goldfinger? He was supposed to do an interview. Charlie Harper? Charlie, yeah. Paul? Charlie Paulson, maybe? I don't know. One of the guys, the, the guitarist from Goldfinger, who told me over the phone that he was actually uh, in, uh, solicited by Danzig to, to be uh, a post-95 guitarist after John Christ left, that he was uh, wanted to, that he was asked to audition or something. I don't know. It didn't happen. didn't go down. Um, yeah, but the Goldfinger, I like the Goldfinger version of Ghoul's Night Out. I think it's really, really great. Really big fan of that as well. Uh, I like the way it changes. It kind of changes it up, you know, during the, the, the chorus. Or no, during, you know, hell is where you want to be. It just like has this weird changeover. That's really cool. Um, all right, so here's where we're segueing into 12 Hits from Hell and into Henry Rollins. I, I got to tell you, I hope you made it through this part of the show because we're going to talk about this look maybe if i buried it too deep have i buried it way too deep i don't i don't think so ah whatever this is this is our final show of the year episode 45 by the way we've done 45 of these episodes Woohoo! um when did plans for the lat for the latest lastest latest Latest Misfits album, 12 Hits from Hell, first come to light. Tom says, I wanted to do a project like this a few years ago, but Caroline Records were shifting over to Astral Works and the electronic music they have helped pioneer. Fatboy Slim, Chemical Brothers, Air, etc. And their concentration was elsewhere, so it didn't happen. Recently, they had opened up more to rock music again, and I convinced the GM there to allow this project to happen. Uh, TV. Uh, where were those new tracks discovered and when and by whom? Dom says, the tracks have always existed, just not in this fashion. I simply needed a theme for the release for it to make uh, for it to make sense. Recently in my archives, I found a copy of a sheet of MSP letterhead that had listed all the songs from these sessions, but had them listed as side one and side two. They wanted it to be an album just like Static Age was supposed to be one as well. And after matching it up to their 1980 press release, it states that they – let me take that over again because I'm going to do a, a thing. Uh, in terms of 12 Hits from Hell, uh, where were these new tracks discovered and when and by whom? Tom says, the tracks have always existed, just not in this fashion. I simply needed a theme for the release for it to make sense. Recently in my archives, I found a copy of a sheet of MSP letterhead uh, that listed all the songs from those sessions, but it had them listed as side one and side two. They wanted this to be an album, just like Static Age was supposed to be one as well. And after matching it up to their 1980 press release, it states how they indeed were recording an album that fall. This is what spawned this specific idea. In many ways, it's like the Static Age album, where 12 Hits from Hell brings you the session in the entirety of which it was planned to hopefully come out. Except this time, we utilized Bobby Steele's guitar work as the backbone since he was kicked out after these sessions and they decided to not really use his work when they did the three hits from Hell and Halloween singles. His stuff is great, and when it's combined with Doyle style, it creates an amazing sound, unlike any other I've ever heard. 
I also threw on the second take of London Dungeon as a bonus song, and that rounds things off quite nicely. Erie supplied the seven inch, uh, the seven unreleased photos of the band that both he and I wrote detail, uh, and both he and I wrote detailed notes regarding these sessions. So it's so interesting how, and that's another reason, you know, we we did the, this whole thing about twelve hits and roll. Go listen to that episode, but we never heard from Tom's specific point of view in that how he like synthesized the idea for the project. And so again, it was this was like a it was almost like it was like a fleeting idea that they had when Bobby was in the band and that it immediately shifted towards Walk Among Us when Bobby was kicked out of the band. So therefore, it really isn't necessary. I mean, it's sort of a lost album. It's a lost album in retrospect. And that's what makes the idea so interesting. It's almost like, it's like, it's like someone from the future sort of saw this, this, artistic thing and sort of grabbed it from the past and tried to shape it into what could have been. It's like the greatest issue of Marvel doing what if, you know, Marvel's what if sort of situation thing. I don't know. I think that's a really interesting explanation. Um, Russell says, what condition were these master recordings in when they came to you? Tom says, these tapes were in great condition, although they were baked uh, slightly for the reason that they had been around without being spun for 21 years. I think without much room for argument, 12 hits makes for the best selling album in, uh, sorry, best sounding album uh, in their Glenn Danzig era careers. Um, Russell asks, why were plans scrapped for the release of the collection of seven inch misfit singles? That's the, the enter at your own risk box set from the late eighties. I believe Tom says, again, it was a timing issue with Caroline and the fact that vinyl isn't as much of a commodity as it used to be. All right, never mind. Actually, I guess it was a different, all oh, right. That was from, maybe from the nineties actually, right? In 95 before the box set, the plans were a lot of fun, but there was only one mock-up in existence. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was called uh, enter at your own risk, a title that Glenn had come up with in the eighties, for a possible collection two record. Sorry, I mixed a bunch of stuff up. So that was so there was at one point going to be a box set of of singles. I wonder if man, if Glenn were to just do that now, he would be printing money. Glenn, reprint the catalog, man. What are you waiting for? Everybody wants it. We all want it. Just do it. Reprint the Sam Hain vinyl. Do what you you already know it works. You did it with with Danzig sings Elvis, you did a ton of varieties and the hardcore fans bought every one of them. It's like, it's literally like printing money, dude. It's printing money. Go and do it. Um, TV. Are there any plans on the table to produce any further future misfits compilations, uh, whether they are tributes or tracks uh, done by the misfits themselves? Tom says, I can assure you that there won't be another tribute. What a nightmare to put together. They are. Anything in the future of the Misfits is totally up in the air. Mind you, this is right after, this is right after, um, this is right before it's supposed to be released. So when, when Russell is conducting this interview with Tom, he thinks that come October, there's going to be a Misfits, there's going to be a new Misfits album out. Neither of them know that the, that the Misfits are going to put the kibosh on it and it's going to be not out. So in, in Tom's mind, things are up in the air. Who knows what one of those releases might have been? Uh, I see – give me one second. I'm going to get to the comments in just a minute. I just want to finish this. this is, we're at the tail end here. 
Seeing as how you've had great success in bringing these gems and rarities to light, is there any chance we'll see any Sam Hain outtakes or alternate versions hitting the stores in the future? Uh, Tom says Sam Hain and Glenn's Black Aria album uh, are his property. You'll have to ask the man. Uh, TV says, uh, when you aren't working with Caroline or Misfits projects, what do you do with your talents? Uh, Tom says, I do freelance design and project coordination for various record labels. I've created another box set uh, recently for Century Media Records that's coming out in November, and I will always be meddling in labels business, whether they like it or not. Mind you, this is 2001. Um, you know, Napster's hit already, but like record labels are still these giant beasts, right? Um, uh, John, the voice of Doom asks, can you share what songs uh, you alt, what songs you alt, the, the, the alternate versions on Tom's iPod followed up by why don't they make a vinyl box set of the seven inch singles? I, I mean, I don't know what he's, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know why I have spoken to, I've spoken to members of inner circle. I've spoken to inner circle people who are very close to Glenn and asked them this very question. And I'm, I'm baffled by it. I just don't understand. But to answer John's question, what songs, uh, what songs the alternate versions are, uh, were, uh, the ones that I remember most clearly. So here's the thing. So he had a big, he had one of those thick ass. It was like an, this was 2011. So he still had him on an iPod. I guess iPods were still around in 2011, right? I don't remember. When did iPods, when did iPods go out of existence? I don't remember. I guess in this last decade, but this was, so this was 2011, right? And um, we'd finished the interview and I'm with, it's me Tom and my wife, and we're in Tom, the guy who I just read this interview. We're in his house, lives in a beautiful, this beautiful farmhouse. It was converted into a house or something. I don't know. It was a real, really nice place that he lived in. I don't know where he, who, who or what he, I don't know if he had, if he was, has a wife or something. Uh, beautiful place though. Um, we, uh, Tom pulls out this iPod. It's like a thick iPod classic and goes, um, do you want to hear some alternate versions of songs? And my jaw dropped. I was like, what? I, what? <laughs> Maybe he talked about it in his interview. I, he might've talked about it in his interview and he said he was going to show me after the interview was over. Maybe that's what happened. I don't remember. It's been so, it's been almost 10 years now. Um, and he proceeded to just, I just remember this. Here's the problem. And it's the same thing with the Manny tape as well. This is what happens. You, you're, you're greeted with this window. You're, you're, you're 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 bombarded with something super incredibly rare and you have a window of time to sort of like like digest what it is right so it's like it's like you can't even comprehend that you're about to like hear or see something really really rare so you can't even like you can't think about like whoa, whoa, wait wait I want to decide what what I want to hear it's just like it's just like it's like he's scrolling and there's so much to see and I get to pick, and I remember this. I remember I listened to two different other versions of Some Kind of Hate. There was one Some Kind of Hate that was, uh, I forget what, it was just an alternate take. And then the other Some Kind of Hate was, the, and he specifically pointed this out to me, it's it's like pure Elvis. It's Glenn doing, it, it was Glenn in the studio uh, in 1978, the recording Static Age, and Glenn did like uh, he purposely pushed the Elvis to eleven on the dial, and he's singing some kind of hate like he's Elvis, and it was unbelievable. And then, um, 
I remember he was kind of like shuffling and there were multiple versions of children in heat and, and listening to uh, uh, two different versions back to back of children in heat. And they were just different, man. And, and that's what I mostly remember. I remember children in heat. I remember some kind of hate. I remember maybe there was night of living dead too. Um, yeah, dude, I, it was wow for me too. The two that really stand out in my mind were some kind of hate and children in heat. Oh, this was another thing. Okay, so here's another tidbit. Ready for this? This is the other tidbit uh, that I that I was uh, trying to that I remember. Um, Tom explained to me that these songs were recorded the way that they did the live set. So, Children in Heat ends. So Teenagers from Mars always would go into Ch Children in Heat live. So the reason why Children in Heat starts off with this drum roll, it goes like, that's because that's what they would do live and they would do it out of Children in Heat. So when they were doing it in the studio, they literally went from one track to the other track, something like that. It's something like that. I don't, kills me. I'm like literally going over off of pure memory right now. Um, I wish, I wish I had, a recording of Tom and I in the room and I could like play back or I wish I had a photographic memory so that I could really, really remember what those other songs were. But I just remember he, he was, he was, he was, you know, doing the click dial and he's rotating the click dial. And I'm just, look, I mean, I just see stuff scrolling and I'm going, Oh my God, there's just so it's just the tip of the iceberg. And I'll tell you, of course, no one's going to know. The only people that are going to know are Tom because Tom had the masters. Like I said, he's the Mark Lewinson of the misfits. The Mark Lewinson was a, uh, is a Beatles historian who got to listen to the complete master recordings of the Beatles. And he, he wrote a book called the complete recording history of the Beatles. If you're a Beatles fan, check that book out. And it's just like, it shows you every take. It's just, man, it's crazy. Um, yes. And, and, and that's true, John, we will never hear them. Of course, we're not going to hear them. First of all, I don't know what Tom's relationship is with those guys, but as you even heard back in 2001, uh, his relationship was sort of weird with the band to begin with. I know that he had uh, him and Glenn had some eh, was uh, a little hairy between him and Glenn for a while. Um, but especially after the 12 hits from hell situation, I, I mean, unless, unless you're, you're bros with, with Tom Begowitz and you're, you're in his house and, um, he's feeling really froggy. You're not going to hear that stuff. Uh, truthfully, I, I, it's just, I, I feel very fortunate. And you know, what really is funny. My wife who doesn't care for the misfits at all. She, she just came along with me for the ride. She's heard this stuff that very few people have heard. Like no one's heard this stuff, but she's heard it and she didn't care about it at all. You know, it kind of blows me away. You know, when you think about it like that. Um, so speaking of 12 hits from hell, I'm going to segue into the next part of the show. So what I did was here, I got to pull out of this. <clears throat> so what I did here, here, let's, let's, let's stop sharing for a minute. Okay. Now we're going to go back to sharing the screen. Ah, sorry. Take that away. All right. We're going to go back to sharing the screen <clears throat> and we're going to go to our here. Now let's do a little test. Can you guys hear the audio? This is very important. Let me know if you can hear the audio. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to press pause. Somebody let me know. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Somebody let me know. Ready? Ladies and gentlemen, this could you hear that? Someone say, yes, I can hear that. And I can hear it clearly. 
because I'm not going to start the recording until. Yes, this is the Henry Rollins. Yes, that. Okay, so all right, just a little bit of explanation as to the video that you're seeing. Okay, thank you, Rue. And <laughs> so this is this is Henry Rollins in Black Flag in 1983, I think, or 84, being interviewed by some uh, kid in Detroit. And the whole band is there. Uh, Kira's in the band. Bill Stevenson of the Descendants is in the band. There's Greg Ginn and there's Henry. And this is a very famous interview. And what I did was I took the Harmony in My Head uh, radio segments with Henry talking about 12 Hits from Hell. And I was like, well, I might as well have something playing over it. And so I went to the internet and I found this interview. And a quick, uh, just a, a super quick thing about this interview before we, we continue further. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with this interview, who are not familiar with this interview, go seek it out on YouTube. It is hilarious. Um, it's basically Henry is just super pissed off and super like, I don't know, he, he's got like, you know, the thousand yard stare. He's just in the middle of the tour. It's like life is hell, you know, being on the road with Black Flag. And um, he is just giving this kid so much SHIT. He is just being such a D-I-C-K, just really, truly uh, just really being a S-H-I-T-T-Y person to this guy. And uh, it's a real bummer, man, like uh, just to see Henry. I'm sure Henry Rollins cringes about uh, his his behavior. But again, being on tour for a long period of time will make you do crazy things. I can truly attest to that or believe that uh, and have seen some of it firsthand. So I can tell you, I, I think that, you know, you know, it makes sense, especially with if you're a guy like Henry Rollins getting punched in the face every night on stage. Henry Rollins used to carry an axe handle with no axe head, just the axe handle uh, around because an, an axe handle, for those of you who don't know, axe handles are perfectly balanced. You can you can throw an axe handle or, or hit someone with an axe handle with one hand. It's there's no it's not it doesn't go off kilter. It's meant to be hit with one hand. So Henry Rollins would keep an axe handle uh, ready at bay uh, anytime someone was messing with him. So he could just bop someone right in the head with it. So here's this, this young, this young whippersnapper asking Henry Rollins questions. And he just acts like just such a prick, such a prick to this kid. So I decided to put that over the interview bits. Now, last thing I'll say, and then I really am going to shut up because I want to take all my vitamins, which I didn't get to do today. Um, and I'll actually be able to take a breather for a second because you're going to hear something really cool. Uh, I hope I don't get in trouble doing this on YouTube. I don't think I will. I don't think Henry would mind. Uh, I don't think he's like that when it comes to this sort of stuff. Um, but you cannot find this broadcast. It is incredibly hard to find the broadcast now because I think it, you can find an archive of all of his broadcasts, but this is not included anymore because I think the Misfits, I think someone in the Misfits camp must have given him hell for having it because he has he plays the 12 hit songs and the misfits don't want the 12 hit songs out. So I've obviously cut out the 12 hit songs. They're not on here, uh, but it's basically all the banter uh, and uh, of, of Henry talking about, about, about it and about why they are so great. And the la very, very, very last thing I'm going to say, the very, very last thing, there is a piece of misfits trivia within this recording that you may not be aware of. Uh, Henry just volunteers this man, what I would kill to, to interview Henry Rollins about the Misfits and just hear him wax poetically. You could release a documentary just about Henry Rollins talking about the Misfits themselves. Um, we're going to do a little bit of more of that after I play this. So I'm going to play this for you now. Okay. Really going to shut up now. Uh, 
This is the show you've been waiting for. This is the big one. It's August 22nd. My name is Henry Rollins. I am here in the Indy 103 Rock Mosque with Engineer X, and this is the much-talked-about misfit show that I told you we were going to do. I really hope you are right now opened up to the HarmonyMyHead.com page and looking at these liner notes. We are going to listen to misfit songs uh, the same song two times. You're going to hear the original mix of a song, and then you're going to hear the later mix of the same song. The later mix you're going to hear is from an album that almost was released, hit the promo, go almost went to the store stage, and at the last minute was yanked by the band. The album is going to be called 12 Hits from Hell. If you have the box set of The Misfits, if you have the collection CDs of The Misfits, you have all of these songs, but in their original mixed form. I much prefer the 12 Hits From Hell mixes. The 12 Hits From Hell sessions, basically they took these 12 songs, 13 really, but we'll get to that later, and they mixed them all at one time, and so you have much more of an equal overall sound, where these other, the original mixes were done in different sessions. And I must say, as much as we all like The Misfits, you must admit, The Misfits made some very strange choices with production, as in snare and hi-hat way in front of the band, guitars way in the back, Glenn Danzig going through so many kind of reverby effects, you can't hear the beauty of the guy's amazing pipes and those great lyrics. And so I much prefer the 12 Hits From Hell mixes. If you go down your liner notes, you will see the history of this and you'll see my breakdown of every single song, the original mix and the 12 Hits mix. Overall, you're going to hear the original mixes, snare and hi-hat out front, Glenn going through a lot of process, the guitars not realizing their full bouquet, if you will. So that's one of the reasons why, I mean, what he's not explaining here, I'm sorry to interrupt, but the one thing that he's not saying or that that should be noted additionally is, look what happens when Glenn Danzig is not in the studio and someone else gets to do what needs to be done with the stuff that he's recorded. And that's what Tom Begowitz, that's why Tom Begowitz is a genius. And that's why he's so great. And that's why 12 Hits is so great. Because you don't have Glenn, you don't have Jerry, you don't have anybody mucking anything up. It's just, it's 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 an outside, unbiased fan uh, perspective doing this stuff. And and you, as you can hear, Henry totally just like, you know, as a music fan and a musician knows how to talk about this stuff. And he tells you why 12 hits sounds better, even if it does sound better to your ears. This kind of an indistinguishable growl in the background, your 12 hits from Hell mix. Glenn, way more up front in the mix. High, dry, present, dead center. The guitars are full. The bass is full. The snare has a better sound, pulled way back more into the mix. Another thing that makes the 12 hits from Hell sessions unique is they were recorded with the Misfits lineup with Bobby Steele on guitar. Partway through the sessions, Bobby Steele, for one reason or another, either left or was kicked out of the band. I don't have the full deal on that. You go to the website, you make up your own mind. In any case, Doyle, as you know, came in and actually put guitars on the session as well. So you have both guitar players on these sessions, a lineup that never truly existed, a lineup that never played live. And that's another thing that makes the 12 Hits From Hell session so interesting. Another part that makes it interesting is it never went to stores. There's 2,000 promo copies, one of which I own. Uh, they're very rare. It goes for $100 to $300 on eBay or Jim.com. I would rather the band released it, 
And I also also rather you not pay a penny for it. I'd rather you just listen to it tonight, download it and put it in your iPod and listen to one of the greatest albums that never was and should have been. So, I mean, right then and there, he's encouraging people to download it because, you know, I don't know if he has some sort of inside baseball, but like, you know, he, oh yeah, of course he does because this is, he's doing this, he's doing this after 10 years after the fact, but you know, he wants people to hear this, you know, because nobody had a chance to, you know, hear it. And, you know, uh, also again, it's another thing that's interesting about hearing Henry talking about it, as opposed to Tom talking about it earlier, hear how they have different things to say about everything. Tom never mentions why, uh, well, he kind of does, but Henry really goes into why, you know, uh, what makes it so great. He talks about Bob, Bobby Steele is what helps to make it so great. So in order to get all of this music done, I set it up for you. You got the notes. I warned you for weeks. We are going to listen to 10 Misfits songs right now. You're going to hear the original mix first, then the 12 hits from Hell Mix. You're going to hear Halloween two times, Vampira two times, I Turned Into a Martian two times, Skulls twice, and London Dungeon twice. May I please put in this initial PS? The second mix of London Dungeon, the 12 hits from Hell Mix, may be one of the greatest recorded moments of the Misfits. I think it's one of their best songs, but this 12 hits mix is going to rock your ass. And additionally, as Tanner reminded me last week or two weeks ago, whenever we did, two weeks ago when we did that other one, uh, something that I completely forgot, something that Tom does say in the interview that I did with him nine years ago, there are alternate lyrics that are used in the second version of London Dungeon. So there are scratch lyrics. There are different lyrics than what end up in. And think about that. Think about the fact that London Dungeon is essentially, at least musically, is written in 1979, but it's almost a year later that they end up recording London Dungeon, at least, you know, in the studio. And freaking uh, the lyrics, the, the lyrics are not finalized. The lyrics change again, right then there in the studio, which leads you leads me to wonder how many other Glenn Danzig lyrics have changed. You know, I mean, look at look at Feline Nursery and Spinal Remains as another example. So coming up right now, breathlessly, we go into 10 Misfits songs right here, right now on Indie 103. I hope you survived that when you just heard 10 Misfits uh, tracks, five songs, 10 tracks. Uh, remember again, original mix first, then the 12 hits from Hell Mix. Please note that the original mix usually murkier vocals, and nine times out of ten, I'm liking the uh, 12 hits from Hell Mix. I'd like to know what you think. In any case, we're going to go for um, 10 more. So we're going to listen to Night of the Living Dead, Ghoul's Night Out, Astro Zombies, Horror Hotel, Where Eagles Dare, two mixes each, right after the break. So please... Hang out, survive the ads, come back for 10 more Misfits tracks here in Harmony My Head on Indie 103. It's Misfits night! And now we're going to finish up our analysis of the 12 hits from Hell Mix. I love doing shows like... I love do I love that you do shows like this too, Henry. One thing, okay, now coming up is a piece of Misfits trivia that I remember when I had heard, when I first heard the broadcast uh, some, some eight years ago, blew my mind. I had no idea. Um... And it makes for a great piece of trivia. I don't even want to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, but let's just say that it is something that you most certainly, if you've never heard this before, you most certainly did not know this. It's not mentioned on, I'm just not going to say anything else. I'm sorry. Like this. My name is Henry Rollins. This show is called Harmony in My Head. If you want to hear some serious music or music listened to seriously, 
Harmony My Head is the show for you. It's myself, Henry Rollins, and an engineer I wouldn't dare do a show without, except once when he was sick. Uh, he got better, thanks to Allah. Uh, his name is Engineer X, and we're here in the Indy 103 Rock Mosque every weekend, uh, sorry, every weeknight from Tuesday, uh, 8 to 10 p.m., uh, doing it to it. Uh, like ain't nobody ever done it before. And so anyway, right now, we're going to listen to Violent World, Halloween 2, uh, to finish the uh, 12 Hits from Hell mixes. Uh, you get Violent World, original mix, Violent World, 12 Hits mix. Same thing, original mix and 12 Hits mix on the song Halloween 2. Now, the, one of the great selling points of the 12 Hits from Hell album was you were going to get 13 songs, actually. The 13th song being an alternate take of London Dungeon they happened to find on the tape. The Misfits never said anything about it. Uh, they just happened to find it, and they said, well, what the hell, let's mix that too. And they did, and it's awesome. So you're going to hear uh, five more Misfits tracks, and then uh, we'll see you, you know, we'll talk to you in a minute about it all. So uh, listen, enjoy, and we'll be right back. We're going to save time. I'm going to talk very little. We're going to play a whole lot of Misfits music. Ten more Misfits tracks coming up right now. Two takes each of Night of the Living Dead, Ghoul's Night of the Living I will, I will say, um, when I would, the, the, the tidbits coming up, I thought it was before, it's not here yet. Uh, it is very interesting, the way that Henry sequences it. Uh, it's really nice because you literally get to listen back to back. You can really hear the difference. And if you have the ability to sequence it yourself, you should do it. Go home and try it yourself, kids. Just take your 12-hit CD and take your, your other mixes, whichever ones you choose, line them up line them up, line them up and, and press play and see. And if you really feeling froggy, try and do it in triplicate. Cause there are definitely triple versions of some of those songs. So, you know, do it, do it. Zombies horror hotel and where Eagles dare right now, folks. Are you dripping blood? How cool was that? You just heard in the space of not very long. You just heard 20 misfit songs. Okay. No way has this station ever done that before. But I wonder anywhere in the history of FM if they've ever done 20 Misfits songs in a row. You know what? Maybe they have, but I bet they haven't done 25. So we've got more to go. Uh, we got ads to do, uh, but we got more Misfits coming up. So endure the ads, and then please, please come back to me after the break. Cool. All right, folks, that concludes 25 Misfits. Here it comes. basically heard the 12 hits from Hell mixes every uh that would be like every odd track or i'm sorry every even track two four, no they six, don't ten uh and then uh the first the odd tracks one three five seven nine etc were the original mixes that you can find on the misfits box set also on the misfits collection cds the 12 hits from hell mix uh, that CD is very hard to find because, like I said, uh, there's only 2,000 of them that were sent out. There's a few CDR versions that. Oh, I understand what you're saying. You're saying that it has the original mixes, but it doesn't have the 12 hits from Hell mixes. That's it, right. Is that what you mean? I don't understand what you mean. Around. Uh, best thing to do is go to the Harmony My Head. Here it comes. Right now, look at my very lavish liner notes. Here comes the trivia. Uh, beg you to go to Misfits Central and look up the history there. Also, the painstaking, amazing recording sessions part of that site that has every damn thing the Misfits ever did, including sessions I was at, where they didn't mention that, that I was at the We Bite sessions in 1982. They don't mention that I'm singing backup vocals on the song We Bite with members of the Necros. Little trivia for you there. So right now, we're going to go back into our more normal fare, if that can be believed. So there you have it. 
there you have it. In case you did not realize, so not only does Henry Rollins do the live growling vocals on We Are 138 for Evil Live, he also does backing vocals for We Bite along with members of the Necros, um, which, I mean, I most certainly forgot about that. Like, crazy. Uh, nobody nobody realizes or knows. I mean, I gotta, now I feel like I have to go and listen to We Bite to see if I can hear it. I don't. I guess you get we buy. Um, yes, when Jerry was making a statement about the canceled CD, he said the box set has all the songs the way they're supposed to be, right? But the way they're supposed to be without Bobby Steele, you know, without the Bobby Steele mixes or whatever, um, you know, without his guitar mixed up or mixed in or however you want to want to put it, say it, scream it. Uh, okay, so next we have. So I figured this would be a great segue to continue our show. Again, this is a very this is a this is a show that's a smattering of things. Uh, so to continue our show, that, that we're end, exiting out of the uh, 12, 12 hits from hell. We 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 started with Tom. Tom spoke. To, uh, Tom, yes, yes, Slashman, exactly. Very biased opinion indeed. So Tom spoke about twelve hits from hell. We then listen to Henry talk about 12 Fits from Hell, and now we're talking about Henry. Henry and his relationship with the Misfits, Henry and Glenn. Henry and Glenn forever. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, it's so interesting. We talked about this the other day. Someone asked a question. Uh, some A listener asked a question in the chat about, like, like, what is, you know, something about Henry? What is Henry's relationship with the Misfits or Glenn or something? I mean, as everybody knows, ah, I should find it real quick. As everybody knows, Henry Rollins um, has two Misfits tattoos. And let me see if I can find the campaign. Um, was it for Calvin Klein, maybe? Um, Henry has two Misfits tattoos. And everybody's seen, that, uh, in addition to like Metallica, being like a walking billboard for advertising the misfits there. I mean, same thing with, uh, with Mr. Rollins here. I mean, look, if you can, you can see right here, here's the billboard. I remember walking, I was somewhere in New York city. I guess it was here. This is the, I guess that's, that's it right there. That's definitely the picture I saw. I'm walking down the street and I'm looking and I'm going, look at that. I mean, I'm amazed to see Henry Rollins in an ad that in and of itself is like really cool and, and mind boggling and awesome. But um, it was, it's the fact that once again, subversively, Oh, this is what always happens with the mist. This is what happens with the misfits. Look at all his tattoos. Life is pain. I want to be insane. Wash this out of your life. Damage. Um, I mean, here, here is, here he is, man, just like uh, showing off his, his tattoos and there's the Misfits Fiend Skull right there, right there. You're walking down the street, and what do you see? Giant Crimson Ghost. And it just, like, it just blows my mind. And, like, the fact that this dude has a tattoo of this band, this is, like, Glenn, Jerry, and Doyle, and everybody else, whatever. This is the Misfits getting millions of dollars. I'm assuming an ad like this costs millions of dollars. Uh, millions of dollars or, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of free advertising uh, in New York City, on the side of a building, you know, it just kind of and Black Flag too. It just kind of all just because he has these tattoos, you know. It's it's it just, it just blows my mind. But because he has these crimson ghosts, he has two of them, man. Um, he's like synonymous with the Misfits. Same thing. The fact that the Black Flag played shows together with 
the Misfits and that I guess at his first Misfits show, I believe, um, friggin' Henry is doing growling noises on 138 uh, and gets credited for it as well. Uh, but then something happened. Uh, this guy, Brad Neely, we did talk about this. This guy, Brad Neely, he comes out of nowhere and he releases a comic book called Henry and Glenn Forever, taking two guys who exude hyper-masculinity and trying to sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, sort of make fun of it. But it's not not that it's making fun of it. Just like, you know, uh, turning it on its head by making a comic book about Henry and Glenn being in a relationship together. Uh, and <laughs> I've seen this book. It's pretty crazy. There is a video, I think, and I couldn't find it. I believe there is video somewhere of of Glenn, of Henry seeing it for the very first time. And they use this quote, this quote, I think it's in this interview too. They use the quote on the back of the book to sell the book. And it's just Henry being, Henry's at a signing somewhere. Someone shows him the book and and Henry Henry takes one look at it and he goes, has Glenn seen this? You know? And then they they use that quote. And it's just a great example of where you could take, you can take a quote that's not meant to be a quote and turn it into a quote and use it for marketing purposes. That's exactly what happens, man. And it's just so funny. And you know, they they goof on them. They're just goofing on Henry and Glenn hardcore. And you know, again, I think Henry doesn't really care. He kind of just shrugs his shoulders at it. Uh, but Glenn most certainly probably doesn't like it. I wonder if he's ever tried to have it stopped in some way. I don't know if he can. Uh, it's very it's it's very interesting because, oh, wow, this is kind of blowing my mind actually. Um, it's kind of interesting how they maybe he has maybe they have tried to stop it and they couldn't um, because I don't know. It's like a it's like an illustrated. It's it, I mean, does it does it? Inf- here's what I'm. Here's the question that I have. Does this inflict on Glenn's right to publicity, right? That's the only way he could sue. Otherwise, I guess it would fall under fair use because it's it, it counts as a parody. And if it, you're parodying something, you uh you you get fair use. So I guess that 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 trumps uh uh right to publicity. I don't know. Anybody any lawyers out there that wanna wanna really iron that uh iron that down, solidify that? I'd be kind of interested to know. Here's what here's what is said about Henry and Glenn forever. So so Henry and Glenn went from being synonymous, you know, brothers in arms, hardcore, which I don't even think they really ever were. I mean, they did a handful of shows together. They did some, uh, I believe Sam Hain did some shows with Black Flag. Did they? I think they did a show with Black Flag. Um, but yeah, so 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 let's read about Henry and Glenn. If Henry, Henry and if Henry and Glenn Forever isn't on your radar, it really should be. It's an indie comic that imagines Misfits, Danzig frontman Glenn Danzig, and Black Flag's Henry Rollins in a committed, loving relationship. And if you know anything about these two muscle-bulging muscle macho metal icons, you'll you'll how hum- humorous this scenario is. That's That's how it reads, folks. You'll how humorous this scenario is. And I'm not knocking them for it because, again, how many times do I screw up words and mess things up? So I really can't knock them for it. But, you know, just that's what it is. The creators of Henry and Glenn Forever, Tom Neely, Scott Nobles, and Gin Stevens of the art collective Igloo Tornado posted a comic strip of what they say is the mostly true reaction by Danzig to the comic. Okay, and there's a link to it. We got to take a quick. So this was supposedly. Glenn Danzig's reaction to the comic. Let's see what is said. 
Let's see. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. Henry and Glenn, the final blow. This is the mostly true story of Glenn's reaction to our comic book, Henry and Glenn Forever. Thanks to Jay Bennett at Decibel for lending me uh, this story for my final Henry and Glenn Forever strip and for attempting to give Glenn a copy of our book that we all signed for him. Oh, my God. As you can see, Danzig didn't even want to look at it. Sorry we made you sad, Glenn. Tom will have these available as a poster at the I Will Destroy You Sparkbug Comic Books booth. That's booth number 1630 at the San Diego Comic-Con 2010 next week. Oh, my God. And then people are pissed. Oh, my God. Unknown said, you guys are some serious dip SHITs. Try to do something worthwhile in your life. Another person said, um, <laughs> oh, my God. I am a proud 130. I am proud 138 and fan of both Glenn and Henry and found this funny as hell. Someone needs to get a sense of humor. Oh, and Glenn. Um, all right. Let's see. Let's see here. This is the comic strip. You can't really see it very well. Let me see. Let me open it in a new tablet. Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. We can really see it now. Oh, geez. Oh, boy. Henry and Glenn in The Final Blow by Tom Neely. So again, this is supposedly the mostly true thing that was said. And I told Rolling Stone, go F yourself. You should have wanted me to talk. You should have wanted to talk to me when the misfits were around, which is mostly how Glenn felt in the 90s. Um, have you heard about a comic book, Henry and Glenn Forever? Glenn says, no. What is it? It's about Henry and me hanging out? <laughs> I can't believe this is real. This can't be real. This can't be real. Living together. Oh, it's like a gay comic. Sort of. I got one here for you. I don't want to see it. I don't really care. Whatever. And then shows Glenn holding a cat. Why would they do that? It's probably someone who has no life, no idea. So they do something. Are. I don't know how I don't say that word. Retarded and attack people they don't know. Typical internet generation. I don't care. I guess that's all I need. Thanks for the interview. Uh, did that magazine, and then here's Henry popping out. Did that magazine guy finally leave? And then Glenn says, yeah, you can come out now. He really bummed me out. <laughs> he goes, oh, here, eat your roast beef, and then we'll lift some weights together. A good pump will cheer you up. Thanks, Henry. You always know just what I need. Oh, my God. Oh, man. That is... That is that's rough stuff. That is rough stuff, even for uh, even for guys like us who unabashedly love uh, our, our our dark lord. That is Glenn. So that was the final comic strip. That's mostly true. I'll say. Let's just say that it's let's just say that it's hearsay, uh, and we don't actually know know what the the real deal is. Um. So, but here's so here's the question. But what does Henry think of it? In a video interview with Nerdwar the Serviette, the human serviette, Rollins once again proves how awesome he is by stating his belief in the First Amendment and that he's even obediently signed the front cover of the comic, an image that showed him rubbing Danzig's shoulders in consolation. He also doesn't think that Danzig would have the same reaction to it as him stating, I don't think Glenn has a real wide berth for humor and something like that would really get him going. You can watch the entire video here, but below, where they talk about the comic, it begins at 
618. I'm not going to play it. The good folks over at the beat posted the transcript of the conversation, which is pasted here below. So we'll just read the transcript of the conversation. Um, so the human serviette Nerdwar says, "There, Glenn, there's a comic strip out there called Henry and Glenn Forever. Uh, I've only seen the cover. I've never looked inside the pages. Has Glenn seen this? Uh, Glenn doesn't have... Uh, Glenn doesn't have, I don't think he's a real wide berth for humor and uh, something uh, like that would really get him going. Uh, I don't care. Uh, I believe in the First Amendment. I think Glenn would not take it well, so or so I venture to guess. How would you describe it for people who haven't seen it? Rollins, <clears throat> uh, I can describe the cover. I think it's a drawing of Glenn and someone who looks like me on it. I forget. I sign it. People give me a copy to sign and I obediently sign the front cover, but I've never looked inside. I really don't feel the need. I think Rollins' reaction is great. He's an artist himself. He's a poet and photographer as well as a musician. Um, so it makes sense that he would be okay with the comic. Also, he obviously has a sense of humor, not just in general, but about himself. I love that he will totally sign a copy of Henry and Glenn Forever for his fans without hesitation or attitude. As far as Danzig goes, it's really no surprise that he'd have a problem with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, so, so that's, that's, that's it. That's the, the situation with that. And, um, I, you know, I don't know. I just, it's funny, really funny. Um, and, and I guess that, that brings me to, to our next segment. And, you know, as we wind down here, uh, I just, I just basically took a bunch of stuff that I found on the internet about Henry and Glenn. And th this sort of brings us to an interesting story. I mean, these are all things that I wouldn't do. I, I guess maybe I could make a meal out of meal out of it, meaning like a whole episode. But I'm just sort of lumping all these things together for the end of year episode that is uh, the Streaming Evil Live show. So over here we have this is this is from uh, what does that say? Way to Cure Walks. Uh, this is this is from Sunday, January eighth, twenty twelve, the night the Misfits met Motley Crew. Uh, and the Misfits and the Flesh Eaters at the Whiskey A Go Go, April 13th, 1982. Um, some people have said the story is not true. Some people have said the story is true. It also involves Henry. So, as you can see, we're slowly segueing through from where we've gone from one tangent to the next tangent to the next tangent. And we're just, it's like a chain. We're just stringing it all together. Um, and by the way, uh, as you can see below, there is like a, a scrolling banner. Uh, if you like this material, man, please subscribe to my channel. It really helps me out. Uh, leave a comment. Leave a like. Uh, if you have been listening to all 45 episodes and really enjoy this content and want to support the cha the channel and its creation and maybe, you know, uh, and help me by investing in, uh, you know, uh, upping uh, some of the production you know, standards, uh, feel free to buy a cup of coffee. That's all I'm ever going to say about it because it's now scrolling at the bottom. You'll never hear me say another word about it. I'm shutting up right now. <clears throat> um, the Misfits 19, uh, April 1982 West Coast tour is still pretty fresh in my memory. Oh, this was written by, I guess, this guy, but I don't, it's his blog. It's his blog. The Misfits 1982 West Coast tour is still pretty fresh in my memory. A short book about that tour needs to be written uh, given that there are so many funny antidotes and great photos to work with. The ad below was on my bedroom wall at the time and is also possible. It's also possibly that the Ruben, what? What? The ad below was on my miss, my bedroom wall at the time and also possibly that of Ruben fiberglass as well. 
who kindly donated his copy to the Barn Archive well over 20 years ago, thus doubling its number in my possession. So he felt good about hanging up one because he had another one. Understandably so. Uh, though we both claim to be the first to grok. So what does grok mean? I've never heard this word. To grok the misfits among our junior high classmates at our respective schools. A trip to any mall today within a 10-mile radius of Canuga Park. Nay, anywhere in the English-speaking world, based upon my own Southern Hemisphere observations, will demonstrate how deeply entrenched uh, the, will, will demonstrate how deep the entrenchment of Danzig's vision among 12 to 15 year olds of all ethnicities are. Mind you, this is simply based upon my own account of both the bootlegged and unbootlegged paraphernalia of the band. Clearly, Danzig's vision is omnipresent. Remind yourselves, though, that the 30th anniversary of that of the April 1982 jaunt is coming up. Uh, too young to attend the show. I only recently found out that the Flesh Eaters did not actually play. Let's see what grok means. Grok. Ready for this? Grok means understand intuitively or by empathy. Empathize or communicate. To first grok the miss. I've never heard this word before. This is an insane word. Grok. Grak. Grok. Oh, man. It, it Okay, so it comes from the 1960s. It was actually a word coined by Robert Henlein. Who he wrote Starship Troopers. How about that? Just like the way the Misfits also coined some words as well. In any in any case, I digress. Um, I have written about Byron Coley's Motley Crue book before, but this particular story was uh, was missing. Uh, but this particular story was missing. Will need to be corrected in the next edition. According to none other than Misfit Central writing about this very show. So this is or this so he does take it from Misfit Central. Again, it's nothing we haven't heard people. We haven't talked about it on the show. Before the Misfit show at uh at Whiskey A Gogo in Los Angeles, the band allegedly chased the members of Maltley Crew, as documented by Erie Vaughn of the Misfits box set liner notes, down the street. According to Henry Rollins, Maltley Crew vocalist Vince Neal walked into the bar where the misfits were doing their sound check and Jerry Doyle and Danzig began heckling him from the stage. At that point, Neil supposedly turned and ran out the door. The scheduled opening band, the flesh eaters were replaced by saccharine trust, both Earl Liberty from saccharine trust and Rollins who provided guest vocals on bullet that night appeared on one of the covers of the evil live seven inch EP in a photograph taken that night. Also in attendance for the misfits set was Rick James. I'm Rick James. Could you imagine Rick James watching the Misfits? Glenn confirmed in a 1997 interview and still gave high marks to Black Flag, Dist, Kiss, etc. There's a whole article on how intertwined the Black Flag Misfits Pete Frame Rock family tree is forthcoming on the site. Seconds, is there a story of you and Henry Rollins chasing Motley Crew down a street? Danzig. Uh, not down the street, but we ran them out of the whiskey when the Misfits first played there. It happened. It was pretty funny. You know, Motley Crue got a lot from the Misfits. So did Rick James. Up till then, Motley Crue was a doll's imitation. And then all of a sudden, they were the mark of the beast. So many bands have stolen from SHIT I've done. I don't care anymore. The only one I really hate is Stone Temple Pilots. They out and out stole Snakes of Christ and renamed it Sex Type Thing. I did Lon Fr Friend's radio show, and he goes, you know this song? 
and he puts on what I think is snakes of Christ. And all of a sudden I hear this doofus going, I am, I am, I am. And I'm going, who is this? Oh, this is the Stone Temple Pilots. That song sounds familiar, doesn't it? We played them back to back and they were exact seconds. Uh, what was the real deal with the notorious Misfits incident in San Francisco in 1982? Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. My, my Misfits impersonation, my Glenn Danzig impersonation is appreciated. Rick James was a habitual line stepper. Yeah, right. <laughs> Unity. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh, my impersonation is, is, is admired. Okay. So, so seconds ask about the notorious San Fran incident in 1982. Danzig. All night people were getting hit with bottles and beer cans. These kids had singled out Doyle and were hitting him with full beer cans. Finally, Googie jumped into the audience in the middle of the song and started a fight with one of the guys throwing beer cans at him. It was a big fight. Googie started getting his ass kicked, and Doyle saw one guy throwing a beer and hit him in the head with his guitar. It just went crazy after that. A big riot, basically. I remember when Maximum Rock and Roll did their story. It was one-sided that everybody wanted the Misfits gone, but that's BS because a lot of people had come there to see the Misfits play. It was typical yellow journalism from Maximum Rock and Roll. Um, and you know, we've, we've covered that story ad nauseum. I, I wish that I could find all the clips and just put them together for one, like, as you know, I love to call these episodes for micro content, which by the way, is why I sometimes repeat reading something. Cause I know I'm going to clip it out later has to be, you know, better, easier. Um, Eric, buddy, I'm sorry to say, as I just said, man, we, we already, I've, I've talked about it so much. It's, it's in all the other, you got just got to go back, listen through the episodes, dude. Listen to the episodes. You'll find it. I just, yeah. This was a big deal in the Bay Area for a long time. Eric, Eric, buddy, were you, uh, so were you there? Or what do you, Eric, I, I want to hear more about this from your perspective, since it sounds like you're from the Bay Area. What, tell me about the mythology of this, or if you could just write it, write it in, in, in the, uh, uh well, Qualify yourself. What, uh, what what do you know about it? Are you are you from the Bay Area? That's that's what I would ask you first. I'm gonna keep moving on until I see you respond to uh, my question. There was no shortage of ink spent on that tour. I had already posted a review of the Chicago leg of that tour. Misfits at Misfits in coolest. Oh what? Oh, let's check that out too. Uh, there is of course we got power April thirteenth, nineteen eighty two interview by Jordan Schwartz. Dave Markey and Rue at Rachel's house. Now, Dave Markey from We Got Power, he did the Slog movie. He toured with Black Flag in 1986. And, uh, huh, interesting. Here, we have another interview. Oh, man, we got some extra stuff. I'm not going to do this now. It's too much. Let's just see. Is that? Huh. Huh. Ooh, look at that. All right, I'm not dealing with this now, but is that Mike Watt? I think that's Mike Watt right there. Cool, man. Very, very cool. And then what's this one too? Gun Club. We'll save this for next week. So I, I can't. I can't deal with that now. It's too much. It's too much. We'll we'll, we'll take a look at it that later. Um, I didn't know I'm new to this show. Oh yeah. No. Hey, Eric. All good, buddy. All good. I'm just letting you know that that freaking 
yeah, we've talked about it a lot from a lot of different perspectives too. Matter of fact, go back to the Little Fiend. Little Fiend with Sean Garrison. I, I made a playlist of all five episodes, and he talks about the San Francisco incident in there as well. So just just putting that out there. Um, gotta find my place. Gotta lost it. Um, so we have some cool other stuff. I'm going to check that out. Uh, mere hours after heckling Vince Neil. Mere hours after heckling Vince Neil. If I could find my copy of Flipside, I would scan it, but this will have to do for now. Ooh. What is... Darn it. All these extra links. I think this is another thing about the Vince Neil thing, so let's take a look at that. You've had a couple of guys tell me their perspective i would like to hear that G- give me one second eric give me one second we'll, we'll we'll chat about them in a minute let me just oh this is from flip side 31 1982 oh god we should really go through that not now though um Alan Hudley's interview, which I probably have not read since his publication, made me remember how unflatteringly Neanderthal the Lodi crew was in their belief system. So this is going back to the whole thing about, you know, uh, just the, the, the persona that those guys like to put on. Um, check out Glenn's ju- Juju Bone video for further proof and a belly laugh. The 82 San Francisco show pictures were something else, like right out of one of those 70s pro wrestling magazines. A lot of blood, makeup, and fake menace. I also found this short note in the barn with the show advert. I guess that's here. I received it probably sometime in late 1983, early 84. I was a teenage hardcore nerd, and it was a bummer to be told by Father Xmas himself that the Misfits were over, though the merch would live on. Lastly, Rollins interviewed last month where he has some fun stuff to say about his old friend, Glenn. Maybe we should take a look at that. Ah, Crap. I just, I'm so afraid that there's going to be music. Let me see. Um, So this is the best part about Glenn and the fandom and yada, yada, yada. Glenn would just take pieces of merch, right? He just takes pieces of merch. And what does he do? He writes on the back of them, making what is already a, a super collectible piece of memorabilia and makes it even more collectible because he makes it like he personalizes these notes. Like it's the most genius thing in the world to do. John evil live three hits from hell uh, and who killed Maryland 45s are all $3 each. Misfits are no longer. My new band Sam Hain has an LP out in one and a half months and will tour in July. Our live set includes Who Killed Marilyn, Halloween 2, and a very warped versions of hot Horror Business and All Hell Breaks Loose. See you on tour. So this is from – so if 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 uh, if it actually came out in one and a half months, because you know how Glenn will tell you something comes out. It doesn't come out forever. If it actually did come out in one and a half months, Initium came out in 84, which means that this was written in 84. So it wouldn't have been late 83, as as dude remembers. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I really want to read. Let's, let's see if there's any music in the Nardwar thing. Hold on. Let's just. Just checking. All right. All right. You know what? Let's, let's listen to what he has to say about Henry. I hope this doesn't get flagged. Let's try it out. Let's try it out, kids, and see what happens. 
going to stop sharing that for a minute. Uh, you always got to do this when you want to share the, the sound from something. There we go. Share. Boom. Oh, no, we don't want that. No. See, that was bad. We don't want that. We don't want that to get on there. That's not good. That, that could get flagged in two seconds. Let's find out where that one thing is from the show. Talks about it at what? what's the timestamp? Unless I already X'd it out. Something like at six minutes, I think. Let's just go to six minutes. Oh, no. Come on. Ain't that a B-I-T-C-H? Sorry, people. Give it one second. We got hit with ads. If that was one of my ads, I'd be happy. You should let my ads play. <laughs> he thinks he thinks you can't hear it you've got to be kidding me find cover but i've never looked inside i i really don't feel the need henry do you remember the last time we talked about 13 years ago uh-huh what do you remember about that at all your breath stink how is it today? It's Does he mention the Vince Neal? Flossing. He's mints. Excellent. Um, and oh, it's so low, really. You don't look a great deal different than you did then, and that you seem to be holding up. Oh crap! And I thought you were. All right, forget it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna replay it. It's not even, guys. It's just the same story. It's literally the same story. Here, if you want to listen to it, I'm just gonna put it in the show notes. I'm sorry. I, I listen. Dead air is the biggest sin in the world. It's the biggest sin in the world. You don't want dead air. That's why I talk so much. I've trained myself to talk the amount that I talk because you always want to be filling every moment with sound. If you're not doing that, then you are a failure of a podcaster. Which is partially why I would again, no point in really bringing him up at the moment. But I mean, just for the sake of talking about it for for this one thing, we're going to finish up with our last segment here. Um, uh, just when when Graves would do his show, and he'd be like, mm, um, I know I do a little of that too, but I used to always go, God damn, dude, you're leaving too much dead air. You can't leave dead air. It's like my brain, I'm always trying to think, oh, blah, blah, I got to say something. I got to say something because if you're not talking, then it's just like this. Who wants to watch that? Who wants to watch that? Then I'm just a person. I'm just a talking head that's not talking. So, you know, that's that's why. All right, so for the last thing that we're going to wrap up with this, uh, I found one other thing when I was searching through that other stuff, and I thought it was interesting enough to, to we could check it out. Um, speculation of who could take who in a fight 
Henry Rollins versus Glenn Danzig. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, some, so I found this. This is some sort of, I don't know what the hell this is. This is a weird sort of message board, right? General discussion. Henry Rollins versus Glenn Danzig. Who would win the fight? Charlie McCatesti's Japanese golfer says, I spent the entire weekend visiting family in upstate New York, which made for a truly pleasant couple of days, but which didn't leave me a whole lot of music-related experiences to write about here. And there haven't been any major breaking music news stories worth talking about beyond the idle wild leak. So this is probably from, I think this is around 2006 that this was written. And I've already made my appear, my opinions on that one known. So this seems like a pretty good time to go back and settle probably the most hotly debated question of my eighth grade year. Who would win in a fight between Henry Rollins and Glenn Danzig? Back in 1994, both of them were at their commercial peak and both were pretty scary and diesel. So, so just, uh, just uh, Rue says Glenn all the way, Jeet Kune Do. So just to sort of paint you a picture, He's talking about 1994 Glenn versus 1994 Henry Rollins, who admittedly, because I mean, this is kind of like a, a BS sort of question to ask because, you know, Glenn, Glenn was puny in the Misfits. He's kind of beefy in, he's kind of beefy in Sam Hain. Henry's wiry and muscular. Robbie says, Depends on the year. I take '90s Glenn over Henry, but Henry, '80s Henry rolling over Glenn. That's a good. That's exactly what I was going to say. Black Flag era Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins is not beefy, but he's wiry. He's like a cage fighter, dude, and he's like he's in these mosh pits. You know, I just man, I would not want to go up against Henry Rollins, who knows how to take a punch to the mouth, especially in the in the '80s, mid '80s. However, pitting. Hollywood Glenn versus Hollywood Henry, 1994. But as he says, peak commercial success, both super muscular. Who's going to win in a fight? All right. So let's 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 keep reading what what they say. Let's keep let's keep looking at this. Um, I'm going to just hide that hide that right there. So back in 1994, back in 1994, both were at their commercial peak, and both were pretty scary and diesel. They're a long way from relevance these days. Rollins is playing the 930 Club with the reconstituted Rollins band on Tuesday. Yeah, so this would be 2006. Maybe it's 2003, actually. And Danzig is doing um absolutely nothing. No, he's not. He's friggin' in between albums and tours, dude. He's in between. He just did an international tour with Ilu Safari, 777. What are you talking about? Um, Sorry, that's the defensive Danzig fan in me coming out a little bit. Uh <laughs> Um, sorry, I lost my place. Oh, is this annoying when this happens? Uh, let's consider the relevant factors. History. Both of these guys got their start singing for seminal hardcore bands. Rollins for State of Alert, aka SOA and Black Flag, and Danzig for the Misfits. But the Misfits continue to play straight up goofy horror movie punk until they broke up and Black Flag started to make the transition from no frills hardcore to awful, discordant, sludgy art rock pretty soon after Rollins joined the band. When their hardcore bands broke up, both of them started playing different sorts of arty metal. Danzig honing his horror movie SHIT with a heavier stomp in Sam Hain, and Danzig, see, God, 
honing his horror movie SHIT with a heavier stump. See, that's someone who doesn't know how to talk about Sam Hain. That's just what they say. Everybody always goes to that nonsense. It's just nonsense, man. Um, both five two. I don't, you know, Henry is actually really short. I've met I've met both of them. They're both short. Henry's actually pretty freaking short, too, man. He's a pretty short guy. I was shocked to see how short he was when I was when I stood next to him. I'm taller, I'm definitely taller than him. Um Rollins make making generally uh, generally terrible jazz metal with the Rollins band. Liar remains pretty awesome, but Rollins has never participated in the creation of a song anywhere near as great as the Misfits London Dungeon or Danzig's Twist of Kane. So Danzig wins this battle. So he's, I, I feel like artistic, that's such BS, man. How are you going to use their artistry to compare whether they, who could win in a fight? That's just stupid. I, I don't like this guy. I already don't like this guy, who, whoever this guy is. He just, he's not, he doesn't have, he doesn't have his finger to the pulse. Musical talent. There probably isn't a relevant fact. This probably isn't a relevant factor at all since the quality of someone's music has absolutely nothing about their fighting ability. That we agree on, as the dubious rap careers of Roy Jones and Ron Artest will illustrate. But it's worth mentioning that Rollins' voice has always been a strained bark, and Danzig is actually a pretty great singer with a wide-open Elvis bellow. Danzig wins again. As I chatted with someone earlier today, we both know how great Danzig sings. He's a great, he's the best. He's the best there is, truly. Um, here Now, here is a contestable thing, ready? Here's the contestable thing. That's right. Sam Hain is not metal. Get it through your heads. Look at this guy attempting to be a nerd and doesn't even know how to talk about Sam Hain. F this guy. Um, physique. This one's tough since both of these guys are obsessed with lifting weights, especially in 1994, because that's what I want to focus on. Let's focus on Henry Rollins versus Glenn Danzig in 1994. I don't want to talk about any other period. That's what we're going to do. We're going to match them up because as Robbie said, I agree, man, Glenn, uh, uh, Henry Rollins in the eight in the eighties cage fighter, Henry Rollins, he's going to beat butt. And <laughs> beat butt. Uh, and um, uh, I don't know, man. I just, it, it's just, I don't know. Because Glenn Danzig in the 90s, Jeet Kune Do, there you go, man. I mean, that, that that would be a fight to see. To see 90s Glenn versus 80s Henry, that would be like the true neck and neck. But we want to make this slightly more realistic. So we're going to do 1994. That's the year. Has to be within the year 1994, okay? Physique. This is a tough one since both of these guys are obsessed with lifting weights. And are thus totally jacked, even though they're both old. They're also both short, but Danzig is slightly shorter. He's about 5'6", according to Wikipedia. Not true. Danzig is Danzig's 5'3", accordingly, supposedly. Danzig is 5'3". It's tough to find reliable statistics on Roland's height, but CelebHeights.com puts him at about 5'9". That gives Rollins a, slightly, a, a slight reach advantage, so he wins this category. I would say Henry Rollins. If I had to guess, I would say Henry Rollins is between 5'7 and 5'8. Somebody prove me wrong. Somebody prove me wrong. 5'7 and 5'8. Can't, not 100% sure, but I think, I think that's the case. Um, and I know Glenn is, Glenn is 5'3 uh, without lifts in his shoes. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> come on. Uh, tattoos. Rollins has a lot more tattoos. What does tattoos have to do with this? This is so stupid. Um, Rollins has a lot more tattoos than Danzig, but one of Rollins' tattoos is the Misfits Skull logo. 
which you'd have to think would give Danzig the psychological advantage. All right. I like where he went with that. I like where he went with that because Henry is clearly a Misfits fan. He is. He is. Admittedly so. I mean, he paid $8,000 or $12,000 for a black horror business, seven inch. I mean, it might as well be. Um, so, hmm, hmm, hmm. I think, I think that would give Glenn a slight psychological advantage. But then again, I don't know if it would give a slight psychological advantage because like, like Rollins is like, you know, he's dealt with black flag crowds. Like you can't, he's been punched in the face so many times. I just feel like he's just not, I just feel like he's so, I feel like he has more fighting experience than Glenn. Uh, age. They're both really old, but Danzig is seriously 51 and Rollins is relatively fresh faced 45. Rollins wins. Okay. But we're going from 1994. So that leaves, so that's Glenn at 39 and Rollins is born in 61. Help me do the math people. So he's 33. So that's 33 versus 39. Cause Henry, cause, cause Glenn has about six years on Henry. So I'd say they're roughly in the same class, 33 and 39. That's inconsequential to me personally. Literary ambitions. That's an interesting category. Danzig and Rollins are both independent publishers. Why does that have to? Rollins runs the company 21361, which specializes in crappy books of freeform poetry, mostly by musicians, including Rollins himself. Danzig founded the terrible named comic book company, Verotic, which apparently publishes violent and erotic comics. I don't know if he actually writes any of these comics. He does. But these are both pretty lame, so that's a tough category to decide. I don't know well, why this has to do with anything, truthfully. But Rollins is a touring spoken word artist. He spent years going up on stages and reading bad poetry and telling funny anecdotes. Uh, as a hybrid slam poet and stand-up comic, Rollins wins no badass points. If Danzig just signs the checks for his comic book company, he wins here. I, I don't even know how to, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to even say that. Peter says he has three misfits tattoos. Who? Henry Rollins has? Oh, yes, he does. Right. He has the two crimson ghosts, and then he has some kind of love and some kind of hate. Good job, Pete. That's right. Henry is four foot eight. No, he is not. I don't know if Henry wears lifts. We both know that Glenn's boots are robust. We'll say that in the least. Um, two crimson ghosts and one that says some kind of hate, some kind of love. Right. Yeah, man. Very true. Which means that he was given a tape of the Static Age material by someone in the band. Um, so Henry Rollins had the Static Age stuff way before and probably has still has that tape, which means, which would stand to say that because of we Henry Rollins had that tattoo, in the early 80s, Henry Rollins has rare, never-before-heard mixes of the Static Age material somewhere in his vast utilitarian archive. Hollywood resumes. This is a category, people, according to this doofus. Rollins has spent a lot of time acting in crappy movies. He redeems himself slightly by being responsible for the best moment in Johnny Mnemonic, the part where he says he's the guy who Fs your mom, and then Dolph Lundgren kills him. And by playing Vanilla Ice in the video for third bases, Pop Goes the Weasel. He's also the host of a talk show that I've never seen. That was a good show. The Henry Rollins show on the IFC uh, channel. That's a good show. However, I don't know what that has to do with this or 1994. Okay? I just don't don't get it. Um, 
Danzig's acting roles have been limited to voice acting in a parody episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, which is awesome. Uh, there's not enough blood in these fountains. I need more blood. Let me get some more blood in these fountains. Uh, the, the Christmas robot of future past or whatever the hell it's called. And uh, a cameo in The Prophecy 2, which I haven't seen. That clip is, you can find that clip online. He plays an angel. He's literally in it for like three minutes and gets killed. Danzig also reportedly made the unbelievably stupid decision to turn on the role of Wolverine in the first X-Men movie. A lot of this and that about that. Some people say that he turned it down. Others say, I mean, I don't even know if he was really in the running for it. I think there were just loose talks had about that. But who freaking knows, man? Who freaking knows? Um, Sorry, I lost my place. Which makes him indirectly responsible for Hugh Jackman's career. For that reason alone, Rollins wins this category. Screw you, man. Screw you. What are you even? What are you talking about? Peter says Henry Rollins has a tape of the Misfits Archangel demo. Also, man, I would love to just mug Henry Rollins, tie him to a chair. He played a bunch of rare tapes at one of the shows. Yes, I heard about this. I heard about that. Was it done for charity? I think it was done for charity. He has Henry Rollins, Linda, I think it was Linda Ramon gave Henry Rollins the demos of several uh, Ramon songs that were made by Joey for Johnny to learn the songs. So that's why they were in Johnny's position. They were Joey demos in Johnny's possession. Johnny passed away. Linda gave them to Henry Rollins. And as everybody knows, uh, Henry edited uh, Commando, Johnny Ramone's biography, which is kind of interesting considering that, um, you know, Henry Rollins considers the Ramone, I don't know, it's very interesting that his involvement with Linda and Johnny Ramone. That's all I'll say about that. Um, fighting experience. Ultimately, this is the only category that matters. Back on, back in the early 80s, uh, DC punk scene. Rollins was notorious for wearing a chain around his waist and getting into huge fights with frat boys in Georgetown for absolutely no reason. That was a long time ago, but Rollins at least has a history. All Danzig has is a vi is videotaped evidence of him getting his butt knocked out. Yeah. We should do a whole thing about the tape and why it's BS. Ooh. All right. Thanks, Pete. We're going to take a look at that in a second. I can't. Pete, you know, you know the problem is I can't actually, I can't paste the link. Here, let me see. Let me see if I can just type that into here. We'll, we'll look at it in a minute. I'm going to leave this up so I remember. Um, so, yeah. But, uh, Glenn, all right. First of all, first of all, Glenn is a scrapper as well. Glenn has gotten into many fights, gotten into fights in the 80s. Uh, there's no mention of here of Glenn getting arrested in London for for trying to slash at people, whether they were skinheads or not. Uh, for that story, check out my London Dungeon video. Glenn Danzig with a broken piece of beer bottle slashing at people, being carried off in a paddy wagon and locked up in, in, in the London Dungeon and then writing the song. I mean, Glenn is definitely a scrapper, man. And if you look at that Channel Club video, people are piling on top of Glenn Danzig. He is getting pummeled. Little Glenn, 5'3 Glenn is getting pummeled, crushed. And this is before he has his muscles. And he's still screaming, barking every lyric to every song without missing a beat. 
just just like there are so many moments of Glenn just sort of um, you know uh, attacking or fighting, and then there's my favorite moment of all. You can watch it, man. I gotta find it now. Oh my god, I gotta find this moment. Let me see if I can find it. I don't know if I can find it. We're not gonna watch it, but let me see something. I gotta check. I got to check. Let me see here. Sam Hain final show. Let's see if we can find this. Where is the final? Someone's got to have the final show. Here it is. All right. Watch, watch, watch what Glenn does. All right. Just I, I, I feel, I feel this is necessary. I'm not putting the music on, but I feel this is necessary. So this is the show where Rick Rubin saw Glenn Danzig. Robbie says there's that one video of Glenn hitting the dude in the head with the mic after he said, uh, after said guy tries to steal it before the miss would start playing. There you go. So look what Glenn does right here. Look, look, look what he does, right? He's singing, he's singing Sam Hain. I mean, this is when he's lifting weights, right? Look, violently humping the air. Favorite, just awesome Glenn Danzig being awesome Glenn. Hold on. No, did you see that? Did you see what just happened? Let's rewind that tape real quick, people. All right, let's let's go back. So what you're going to see is you're going to see Glenn Danzig dive through the air like the Dark Knight mother effing returns and friggin' just attack a guy with no abandon. He's in the middle of the first song playing the fight, what essentially is the final Sam Hain show, right? At the Ritz, at least until the reunions, I should say. And he jumps into the pit like this, ready to just 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 kick butt. Ready? Watch this. Watch this. So there he is. There's Glenn. See my, my clicker on him? Look, doing his thing. Something pisses him off. Look, ready? He is about to dive bomb. Look, he's he's got his... Boom! <laughs> you saw it? Did you see it? I mean, they lose track of him. Hold on. Let's, let's, let's do one more rewind. Ready? Here we go. Super big cam now. Here is Glenn. Boom! Just diving in like a dive bomber. And then, of course, there's that very famous, uh, let's see here. Here. See, then there's this, there's, here's Henry Rollins taking, yeah, this clip is, everybody knows this clip, right? So here's Henry. Someone is just, I mean, this is what Henry dealt with in Black Flag constantly, right? Just people, you know, goading him. And he's just, look at him, thin, wiry, boom, boom, boom. Just punishing this guy with his fist, with no abandon, boom. It's not in the guy's, it's like, take it easy, man. Take it easy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean... So they're both, I mean, they're both scrappers, man. They are both scrappers. I think I would reason, I, it would be, yes, I love that. Superman, Superman punch, dude. That, you're, I think you're referring to the, the Danzig, the, the Danzig punch. So I would really think that it would be, um, it, it would be, I don't know, it would be an insane fight, man. It would truly be an insane fight. 
So final result, he says, Rollins wins easily. Still, I would be happily pay at least $40 to see this fight. Let's make it happen. Um, fighting experience. Ultimately, this is the only category that matters. He wore a chain around his, his neck. After watching that, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty obvious that Rollins would not have a lot of trouble handling Danzig. I don't think that's the case. So if this is, yes, that's right. We need celebrity deathmatch back. That's what we're missing. We need the celebrity deathmatch back, and we don't have it. <sighs> um, so who would win in the fight, honestly? All right, so it's 1994. I'm, we're going to do this. We're going we're gonna to wrap up with this, okay? Uh, we're going to wrap up with this. Okay, so it's 1994, right? Glenn and Henry, they're, they're doing a show. The Rollins Band is doing a show with Danzig. Here, we're going into the, the fight simulator, okay? Welcome to the Matrix. Going to the Matrix, the fight simulator. So there's a show. Rollins Band and Danzig are doing a show together. Um, backstage somewhere, uh, Henry and Glenn. Henry comes to knock on Glenn Danzig's dressing room. <coughs> Opens the door. Glenn doesn't want to be seen. Glenn gets in Henry's face. No, maybe there's a oh, Jesse James. There's a there's a bodyguard, right? Gets in, in Henry's face. Henry just wants to visit his old friend Glenn. Um, something happens to the bodyguard. Bodyguard has to has to uh, Jesse James. Something has to happen to him. Maybe he ends up fighting Jesse James. Henry fights Jesse James. They go, they go at it. They duke it out. I mean, if we're trying to be really realistic here, maybe Jesse James. Jesse James is is off. He's dealing with something, and uh, Glenn wants Henry out of his his dressing room. I can't speculate on this. How do you speculate on something like this? This is fiction. This is supposed to be fiction. Glenn Danzig versus Henry Rollins, 1994. They fight. I mean, Glenn has his, Glenn knows something about Jeet Kune Do at this point, but I don't think he would apply it in this fight. So I'm going to actually subtract the Jeet Kune Do. They both, they both, they're both just duking it out. I think, to be honest, I don't know who would win. Maybe, maybe Henry would have the edge. Maybe Henry truly would have the edge. I would imagine that Jesse James would break up the fight before it even finishes. But I, man, I just see these guys beating each other to a pulp, beating each other to a pulp. Because I mean, look at all the shots of Glenn. There's so many times where Glenn just, just like decks people right in the audience too during the dancing years. He would not back down from that fight, especially at the height of his physical powers. <sighs> what do you guys think? Who would win in a fight, Glenn Danzig or Henry Rollins? Leave your comments below. Um, did you enjoy this episode of Streaming Evil Live? I did. It's great to get back in the saddle. Missed, missed, my, uh, missed the Sunday show. Is today Monday? It's only been a day. Whatever. Feels like a week. Uh, feels like a week. Um, usually, I was I was streaming every single day, and I kind of I kind of lost it when I was cleaning this place up. But now I'm going to try and st uh, stream tomorrow and the day after that. Do two more videos till till New Year's Day, and then uh, I climb the great mountain of 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 work and progress. Listen, thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, like I said, if you like this content, freaking. Of course, Rue would say this. Rue says, it would be a brutal battle, but Glenn wins it. Okay, Rue. 
I just can't, I can't give it to Glenn, but I can't give it to Henry either. I truly think they are perfectly matched to fight each other. It's truly a Goku versus Vegeta sort of situation for those of my, for those out there who are down with Dragon Ball Z. Um, there is footage of them fighting. There is footage of Glenn kicking a, a dude that has the, 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 the thing up and he's doing, ah, he's doing a, a thing. He's doing a kicking thing. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, Eric, by the way, what was so? What's the lore that people talk about in San Francisco regarding uh, the San Fran incident? I'm kind of curious to hear about that. Uh, what What did you always hear growing up? What it was like a myth? It was like a. Did you ever hear a story about a kid who pulled like a toothpick piece of wood out of his forehead like years after the incident? The the kid who got his head beaten in with a guitar by Doyle. Um, I'll wait for that answer if there is one. I love the color changing lights. Thank you. Oh man, the the cult of the blue tape will live on. Yeah, it was time to uh, it was time to take it down. If you can't see, so there is. So that's that's what we're working with. That's where the desk used to be. The desk used to be right there, right? And that's the window. And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to put a couch right there. Okay, there's going to be a couch, and eventually when I get a new job, new day job, there's going to be a TV right here. This will be like the, the the viewing dojo. And then right here, I moved my desk up. So I've really like opened up the room and I, yeah, I put in this uh, this this LED light. I just, I love that stuff. You know, it, it goes really crazy. I want to see it go and it's got this remote. I, I bought this a long time ago and I just never set it up. So here's the strobe. What does that do now? Um, strobe. Maybe I'll put up a, a little bit of blue tape just to sort of, just to just to keep the continuity, right? Um, what else can I tell you? Yeah, so we have we'll do a couple more videos before the year is out. Gary says Rollins said Glenn would win in an interview. Interesting, but he was being nice. Henry would win. He was bigger, buffer, and meaner in '94. Ah, man, I think Henry would win. I hate to say it. Look, I love Glenn Danzig. You know how much I love Glenn Danzig, guys. I sit here talking about Uncle Glenn every week. I think Henry Rollins would kick his ass. I do. I do. In my heart, in my heart, that's what that's 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 what I believe. I, I don't want to believe it, but I just think it's true. I just don't think I don't think he would win, man. I just don't think he would win. I, I like literally was trying to like play out the scenario, and then I was like, this is getting really too crazy right now. Like how how can you even speculate on something so ridiculous? I don't know. Um, so I hope you enjoyed the show. Please subscribe to my channel. Please, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to my channel. Please leave a like. Please leave a comment. That really helps me uh, boost the algorithm. And if you enjoy this content, if you've never done so before, I love drinking coffee. Please buy me a cup of coffee. Yeah, there's no harm in asking. Um, but shout out to all those who have supported me in the past. I really do. I appreciate all you guys. Um, your encouragement keeps me doing this stuff. And I had a really fun year doing this with you guys. I really did. I had so much fun. I never thought I could have so much fun being at home streaming to the internet. Truly. I, I, I didn't. I, I mean, the possibilities are endless. I love this, doing this stuff. I really do. I've been a fan of Kevin Smith forever. I love Smodcast. I've been listening to Smodcast since 2007. So I've already been in like that sort of podcast realm for many, many, many years. But I never dreamed in a million years that I would do it myself in any kind of capacity. 
And so it's just really fun to do this sort of stuff. I like to step back and think about that. Um, Henry would help Glenn home after the battle. Rue, 1 million percent agree with that. 100 percent agree with that. Henry would pick up Glenn and, be, and, and dust him off. And maybe Glenn would make an excuse for why he might have lost or something. But I want to say one thing. Let's put, let's put one thing on the record. Let's, let me make this the last thing that I say here. Um, that Henry, uh, the Glenn Danzig knockout video is BS. And it's just like this video is so stupid. I mean, I've, everybody's seen it. Everybody's watched it. It's just, but it's just so dumb. It's just not even like, it, it should never be discussed or brought up in this sort of way. It's not even, he didn't even hit him. He has like this open face palm thing. And he doesn't even connect with Danzig's face. He kind of like hits him in the neck or something. You know, who knows what was going on? And it was kind of like, you know, it feels like a hit job, you know? And that's really not me sticking up for, for my, for, for Uncle Glenn. You know, I, I really, truly think it's just kind of like a, a BS thing. If you want to judge Glenn, if you want to judge Glenn on, on, on fighting, judge him on that stuff from the 80s with the Misfits where he's taking somebody head on. Not when he's like a, 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 50, a, a 51-year-old man taking on a, a lummox, you know. Uh, and what was, of course, Glenn's peacocking. He's pushing the guy. He's peacocking. You know, I mean, like, it's just so stupid, man. It's just so stupid. Glenn lost his cool, hence the battle. I don't know. I just think it's BS, man. I hate that video. I hate it. As as Joe says, as Joe used to leave bumper stickers, stop making fun of Danzig, okay? Um, should we go five more minutes until we reach two? I hate, you know, that's the other thing about me too is I hate like unrounded numbers. Like let's round the number off. So we have five minutes. Five minutes. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to put this up and I'll see. And if nobody does it, if nobody comes, then I'm going to, I'm going to X this out for five minutes before I end this thing. I actually have to get to another stream. If you could imagine that someone, I'm, 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 I'm putting it out there. Does anybody want to explain who they think would win between Glenn Danzig and Jerry only? You have five minutes to comply with this message. Feel free to join us now. Come on the show. You have five minutes. When that thing hits two hours and 30 minutes, I am shutting this thing off, okay? Uh, I will filibuster until then um, because that's what I do best. If you are a fan of Return of Living Dead, I've been doing a Return of Living Dead um, uh, fan appreciation series day-to-day uh, -day during the week. Uh, I've got a really fun piece of content for that that I think I'm going to try and do tomorrow. So, so tune in, check that out. Um, we're going to be talking. I, I don't really don't want to ruin the surprise. I eventually want to do a table reading for Return of Living Dead. I have the script, and I want to just sort of read the script. You know, you know how you do script readings. I kind of want to do that for Return of Living Dead. And so, I need to find the right people to help me uh, pull that off. But I think I could do it through um, Streamyard, which is the, what I use here. And um, I think it would be really great. We have uh, three minutes, people. Th oh, three minutes and 15 seconds uh, to click on the StreamYard link. It's in the chat if you'd like to join us. If not, at exactly two hours and 30 minutes, we're going to end the show. Um, I think there'll be several pieces of content I could pull out for smaller videos. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, tune in. Tune in for, oh, my God. 
Hold on, I gotta take this off for a second. Rue says Uncle Jerry versus Glenn. No comment. Oh, I could do a whole show about that. We should talk about that sometime. I'm not gonna talk about it now, but sometime we gotta talk about that. Sometime soon, we're gonna talk about Uncle Glenn versus Uncle Jerry. Uh, that's a boxing match that I would pay a thousand dollars. Imagine now, today, I Glenn would uh, Jerry would kill glenn today jerry's jerry's in like the best shape of his life now right now in the 90s he was thick you know t-h-i-c-c thick like that kind of thick like you know like like that like like bootylicious thick um and in the 80s he was like you know wiry muscular but wiry like tall slim uh and uh i feel like you know 77 they kind of like they always like build build jerry to be like super duper tall and muscular, but he really wasn't that tall and muscular in the seventies. He looks like of average build. He is a tall dude. Uh, when I saw him in person, when I met him, the only time I ever met him, he was like, he, he's, he's a big guy. He's not as big as his brother, but he's pretty big. I mean, they really are twins of evil in, in another world. Those two dudes would have done wrestling. They would have done the WWF WWE as the twins of evil. Uh, Rue says, Jerry would destroy Glenn. He'd come at Glenn like a berserker. He would, dude. Jerry would kill Glenn. Now, even in the, man, even in the 90s, I think Jerry would just, Jerry would always beat Glenn, dude. There's never a situation where Jerry doesn't, Jerry would beat Glenn. I'm sorry. Who would, who wouldn't fight Jerry or Doyle? And here's why I think Jerry would have the advantage over Doyle, even though Doyle's a beast. Uh, Jerry has the older brother psychological advantage which does wonders if you are an older brother and understand that, that, that concept. Come on, guys. Final countdown. As soon as it goes to 2.30, I'm exiting out of here. Here's the link. If anybody wants to join me, it's in the chat. StreamYard. Who do you think would win, Glenn or Henry? We have a bunch of camera-shy people. That's okay. That's fine. Again, if you're just joining us or if you have just joined us, please subscribe to the channel. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you. Happy Hanukkah as well. True. Thanks, Chris. True is true. Uh, all right, guys. I'm 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 calling it. I don't, no one's in the guest room. Man, some of you guys are shy. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, I, I'm tired. We've been talking a long time. This was a good episode. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I didn't think it was going to go this long. Um, so, all right. Stay tuned. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well, Rue. Uh, oh, no, it's two, two, two hours and 30 minutes. I have to end the broadcast, like I said. Uh, so subscribe. Stay tuned. We'll see you in the new year. Got some other related content coming. Peace and hair grease.